1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 110 of the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show as Brad Crawford of 247 Sports joins me for part one of a two-part series giving our game-by-game predictions for the Gamecocks 2019 football season. We break down the first six weeks of the South Carolina season as well as chat about the most important game this year which three-game stretch is toughest for USC, and much, much more. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks All-American safety Coe Simpson as we discuss his path to USC, being SEC Freshman of the Year in 2004, leading the SEC in interceptions in 2004. Playing for both Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, his career in the NFL, life after football, and much, much more. Before we dive into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only one that you need. Go download the app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S P R S U P, to save $10 off your first purchase. Like I've mentioned before, they've got tickets to literally anything and everything you can think of, from South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, you name it, they've got it. They've got a great ticket rating system as well for you guys, which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you know exactly what you're getting before you click the buy button. You know, if you're getting a steal, you know, if you're overpaying a little bit, so you know exactly what you're getting before you click that buy button. So again, go do me a favor, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. Again, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, coming to you as always. Have a very packed show. I'm very, very excited today. Going to be breaking down the South Carolina Gamecocks football season. We're getting ahead of it. Obviously, you're tuning in. This is the week before SEC Media Days. Obviously, football is practically here. We're just under a month away from fall practice and just over a month away from kickoff. Going to be breaking down game by game, and I've got a very special guest to help me do so. You probably know him very well. He's a national college ball writer for 247 Sports great at what he does, and a good friend of mine. I'm very pleased to welcome Brad Crawford to help me, like I said, break down this 2019 South Carolina season. Brad, I appreciate you taking the time, man. I'm really, really looking forward to uh, talking some Carolina football and trying to make sense of this 2019 season.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm uh, glad the off season is finally coming to an end. You know, I've been writing about football for six months now, but very soon the games will finally count, and all of these predictions half a year's worth are either going to come to fruition or I'm going to have egg in my face.
1: Yeah and that's pretty much everybody at this point. Obviously I'm bringing you on Brad as South Carolina fans listening will know you're a guy that's obviously you're up in North Carolina but you're obviously very close to the South Carolina program. You, you write about those guys a lot. You cover again nationally but a lot of SEC and again you're around the program so you're very familiar with it. So again excited to talk Gamecocks with you. Before we get into breaking down specifically game by game, we've got some things we want to discuss Some far as far as some talking points, if you will. And I want to start with you, Brad, because there's been a lot of this offseason talking about, you know, the schedule's been the main focus. I mean, the toughest, one of the toughest schedules, if not the toughest in college football, and really a lot of people talking with Will Muschamp going into his fourth season, the growth of this South Carolina program, the progress he's making on the recruiting trail. But, you know, I tell people, and I've told you this specifically in conversations off the air, that it's very, very easy in, you know, April, May, June to say, well, the schedule's tough. So if we go six and six, it's kind of a mulligan year for Will Muschamp. And this year's not really going to count. You know, 2020 is when South Carolina is going to break out. You know, all, all that off-season talk. It sounds sounds really good during the off-season, right? But when we get to December, if South Carolina goes five and seven or six and six, there aren't going to be any Gamecock fans boasting about how great of a season it was. But I'll ask you, what would you deem a successful season in 2019 for South Carolina and for Will champ.
2: Yeah, I think after that 28-0 loss to Virginia in the Belk Bowl, no Gamecock fan right now in July wants to mail it in and say that they'd be satisfied with a 6-6 six and six season. You know, that's, that's what we've been waiting the past six months to see is, you know, a refocused, re-energized, somewhat new roster go up against one of the nation's toughest schedules. I've got it at the top schedule in the country based on toughness and I just think right now for for Muschamp to have success in 2019 uh, he has to get to a bowl game that's that's the only failure that that I can foresee is if South Carolina finishes five and seven and does not make the postseason difficult schedule or not um, I think this team is going to be too talented to finish with five wins or worse you know depending on which sport book is is your favorite um, some of these over/under win totals this season have been anywhere from, you know, five to five and a half to six, and I think six right now is kind of the untouchable number for for Gamecock betters. But if you can find it at five and a half, uh, I'm pretty confident that at worst the Gamecocks will go six and six this year.
1: Yeah, Brad. My, my biggest thing going into this season, when people ask me, you know, what are you looking for this season? What record as far as successful? I, you know, I. It's kind of a – I don't know. It's not a great answer, but I say I'm looking for progress. It's a very vague answer, I should say. I'm looking for progress, and what does that mean, right? Well, like you mentioned, I mean, making a bowl game, obviously, is something that needs to happen for Will Muschamp this year. Obviously, a lot of Gamecock fans come to me, I feel like, every single week and some of their questions revolve around, you know, if we have a bad year this year, is Will Muschamp going to get fired? Now, it's a resounding no, but if South Carolina goes, like you mentioned, five and seven or worse, I mean, I I think the conversation – can always change, even though I don't see any scenario in which he was let go. I think Ray Tanner and Harris Pastides, or formerly Harris Pastides, but the athletics, the administration really bought in on Will Muschamp. I know you would agree with that, but I want to see progress. And I think that word is just interesting because it's kind of the same conversation people were having last year before the season, which is this is going to be the best team that Will Muschamp has fielded at South Carolina. There's no question. The most depth, the most talent. But because of the schedule, it may not show up in the win-loss column. But what I would sure. argue to you, Brad, is that you know, even at making a bowl, a six and six, or again, even a seven and five, I mean, is it really gonna be good enough for South Carolina fans to go through a season beating the teams you're supposed to beat, losing to all of the ranked opponents? That's something you've touched on a lot, obviously, with South Carolina's <clears throat> horrible record against ranked opponents. I mean, is it really gonna be good enough in twenty nineteen, do you think, for Gamecock fans to just go through a season beating who they're supposed to beat and losing to all the good teams.
2: I mean, I think a lot of fans, you know, those that maybe aren't as close to the program as some, you know, they they deem a step in the right direction where it has to be a game or two better than last season. And I just don't see that. You know, college football, especially someone like me who always picks, you know, these – when when I make projections, Chris, I I, I go through, you know – bowl picks in June and and final four picks five months out and it's all based on not only talent and what teams have returning but you know 90 percent of my preseason picks are are based on schedule favorability and this is just not one of those years for Gamecock fans that uh, it's it's going to be pretty uh, despite a team that is probably going to be better in my opinion I mean we're talking about a team that could go six and six yet if, if three of those six losses are you know, respectable four-quarter games against Bama, Clemson, and Georgia, you're talking about a pretty good football team. You know, we've we've seen several years, man, where there's been six and six, seven and five teams at the bottom of the SEC West who could, you know, go and be an ACC Coastal Division champion by a couple touchdowns. That's, that's how tough the SEC is, and it's something that Will Muschamp has already experienced, you know, during his tenure at South Carolina. But um, I think any Gamecock fans who maybe – Are are overly optimistic and and are thinking eight or nine wins this year, just, just pump the brakes a little bit. Um, I think even if Jake Bentley has a terrific senior season, the schedule is just not conducive to show, you know, a drastic progress leap. Like um, a lot of fans are hoping for right now. There's still um, several toss up games. There's several uh, games against elite competition where the Gamecocks just aren't going to have enough depth. So, I think 6-6 six and six right now is a uh, step in the right direction for Muschamp, despite you know some fans maybe uh, not thinking that's the case.
1: I, I agree with you, Brad, wholeheartedly on the fact of the record, just because I think even with South Carolina being improved, I think this could be one of those wacky years, Brad, where we see South Carolina win a game. I mean, I feel like this would be just typical Gamecock fashion, right? To win a game it shouldn't, maybe at the road against A&M, beating Florida, maybe even a ranked Florida team, um, and then maybe drop on it shouldn't. Uh, and I hate to even mention the word Kentucky in that or North Carolina or maybe a Missouri or Tennessee or something like that. But I, I think it could be one of those weird years because of just the wear and tear of the schedule, which, I mean, is a very, very real thing, obviously. Let's let's get Brad into, you know, breaking the games down as far as our wins, losses, and toss-ups. Before we get, again, into game by game, I want to break it down in that manner. I'll start, Brad, and you can obviously go off of uh, – of my picks here. So I've got the sure. wins down, Brad. What I'm chalking up as wins right now: um, North Carolina, Appalachian State, Charleston Southern, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky. I, I went back and forth. I almost <laughs> thought about the the jinx, uh, maybe putting that as a lot. Just just I put them as a. And you've talked about this before. Look, man
2: i I just I I just can't write Kentucky in in heavy black ink right now as one of the wins. If, I, I agree. If, if, no, if I agree. Five, Look, if, if, if there's five games then the UK is certainly the fifth game that I, I would chalk up as a win because Gamecocks are going to be favored in that game. And it look, was my fifth one. It two, was
1: I was very hesitant to put it as a win. I'm not going to lie to you.
2: I mean, two years ago, Gamecocks were supposed to – you know that, that was going to be kind of must champs coming out party. South Carolina was on the verge of being ranked had they beaten Kentucky at home. And, you know, it, it was setting up nicely, primetime. Right. Brad, uh, I, South game, Car- I think right. – I don't, I don't want to go back and – I picked I South Carolina to bring to up those 41 nightmares. to
1: 14 that night. That was my, that was really my pick before the game. No joke.
2: Especially after Debo's, you know, <laughs> first quarter touchdown.
1: And then Sky Moore's pick on the second drive. I mean, People forget that too. I mean, it was setting That's up. That's usually blowout.
2: the recipe to a big home win. It really is.
1: Yeah. yeah. So anyways, yeah, I was very hesitant to put them, but I was like, you know what? South Carolina has got to beat them eventually. So I've got those five as wins. I've got my toss-ups as, at Missouri, Tennessee, Florida and at Texas A&M and then my losses right now Correct. at Georgia against Bama and then against Clemson. What what would you say? Obviously I know you disagree with the Kentucky Kentucky game, but what would you say for your wins toss-ups and uh, and losses for this season?
2: Yeah, if we're just scribbling out wins and losses from the 12 game slate right now, that's that's exactly what I have. Kentucky um is that fifth win. I I think there there are four games that are certainly favorable for South Carolina season. North Carolina in the opener. Um, I think the Gamecocks are better at almost every starting position. Have more depth. I do think UNC is a team that will be better with time under Mac Brown because it plays in a uh, very non-competitive coastal. Man, you know, some sometimes Gamecock fans probably wish they were in that division. They have several more uh, conference championship bursts, that's for sure. But Charleston Southern's a game. South Carolina w- will win handily. Uh, Vanderbilt after a six and seven year. Uh, losing Kyle Shermer at quarterback, man, that's that's that really hurts a program like Vanderbilt. He was a multi-year starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game's always tricky at times, but Gamecocks, I think, have won 13 straight. They're going to win that one, and then App State. We'll we'll get to that one later, but um, that's a game right now that I would I would chalk up as a win too.
1: For sure. So one thing I wanted to touch on as well, Brad, that we uh, we had some fun discussions off the air, but let's get into the most important three-game stretch of the season. Uh, for this 2019 season. I think it's something you and I have both written pieces on. I think it's just a very – it's a very fun topic to talk about, especially when you have a schedule like South Carolina's that is is just so, so difficult, and there are so many options. There's so many different options. Like you, I think you mentioned before in the article you wrote for uh, 247 Sports, your toughest three-game stretch of the season doesn't even include Alabama, Georgia, or Clemson. That's how tough the schedule is. Talk about your most important three-game stretch, and I'll get into mine as well.
2: Yeah, and I think the, the more you break down the schedule, Chris, the the more different combinations you can find with this three-game slate. I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the the end of September and then heading into that bye week pre-Georgia. That's three games at Mizzou, home against Kentucky, um, at Georgia. Uh, for, for South Carolina, I mean, getting to a bowl game this season is going to be defined by, by those four weeks, three games over a four-week stretch. Those all come after Bama. Uh, I think it's very important that if South Carolina does not play well in that Bama game, you know you you can't let a gut punch via Nick Saban um, beat you up. You know back to back weeks. That that game at Mizzou, I think must champs three and zero against the Tigers. That's one of those games that I'm I'm going to go ahead and call it a must win. Um, it's it's not the most important game of the year. I'll I'll touch on that later, but um, that's a game that you know it'll be a field goal type line. Um, Gamecocks have won at Mizzou twice before, so that's when they should win, um, you know. And and then they get that Kentucky game sandwiched at home between Mizzou and Georgia. Um, all Gamecock fans want to beat Kentucky, and and let's face it, man. And some Gamecock fans hate to hear me say this, but until South Carolina ends a five-year skid against the Wildcats, it, you know this this program cannot pretend that it's heading in the right direction if it can't beat a team that you know every fan from south carolina down to down to key west maybe there's some fans down there every fan along the east coast who supports the gamecocks uh believes that this program is better than kentucky's but they haven't shown it on the field so and until they show it in the sec standings and and on the field um it's a it's kind of the elephant in the room for will muschamp and um he hasn't been able to beat kentucky yet
1: I, yeah, I agree. And I, I love the three-game stretch you picked, Brad, just because I think it gives you a little bit of everything. It has a must-win game. It, it has mm-hmm. a, a swing game. It has one of the big three games. It really has it all. And like you said, it's going to kind of define, um, I mean, especially, again, talking about Kentucky, I agree with you 100% that South Carolina cannot pretend it's headed in the right direction as a program that loses Kentucky for a sixth straight year at home after the Cats have lost Benny Snell and Josh Allen. They're just that, that will be, I, I hate to say, and we'll get into that game more in just a second, but that'll be the writing on the wall, I feel like, for the must-champ era. But, uh, um, yeah, my, my, my most important three-game stretch, you know, Brad, I went a little bit of a different direction just because, I, you know, I thought about including the Kentucky game just because of the South Carolina's five-game losing streak. But to me, that one, right. that one is the most important stretch. And, and I think it's different between – You know, I I talked about in my – doing the opponent previews, I talked about Kentucky specifically, whereas that Kentucky game is not the – it's not the biggest game, but it's the most – you know, it's the most important game of the season, not getting too far ahead of myself. But for me, the the three-game stretch to me that is – the most important, the most pivotal, the one that I think is going to define not just the season in my opinion, Brad, but just where Carolina football is at in regards to. Because I think the big question Carolina fans have is how close are we to getting back to what we were in 2013 or during the spur year? How close are we to that? And I think that three-game stretch at Georgia, home to Florida, and at Tennessee I think is going to kind of define and tell us, all right, where does South Carolina fall in this entire SEC East hierarchy? Because you and I, again, have talked off the air that right now it's a very, I mean, it's a very tricky time right now because the Gamecocks, you know, have been ahead of Tennessee for so long, a program like Tennessee, for example. And, you know, it, all it's really going to take, like we've said, is just one loss to those guys. And I think to flip the perception back to that Tennessee is the better program. Um, and yeah, then we've, with all the we've
2: had some violent discussions this offseason yeah. about <laughs> Tennessee,
1: South Carolina. Right, no doubt, no there doubt. And I mean, it's 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 a discussion. I think one of the reasons it gets so violent is, is because I'll be completely honest with you, I think South Carolina fans don't want to believe that Tennessee is back on the come up. They don't want to believe that Tennessee is getting better because let's face it, even in the Spurrier years, outside of 2010, South Carolina has not even been able to really take advantage of Tennessee being down. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but I mean, They weren't able to win the East, those 311-win seasons, for obviously different reasons. But, uh, you know, if if Tennessee comes back under Jeremy Pruitt, that's just adding another threat in the SEC East, another team for South Carolina to really compete with year in and year out. But, again, it's another three-game stretch, like I talked about yours, Brad, I think really provides a little bit of of it all for South Carolina where you have that initial one at Georgia. That's really going to be one of those three that's going to define, you know, how it's going to say a lot about Jake Bentley it's going to say a lot about a lot about this program how close it is to really you know really contending with, with the big boys with the elites obviously i don't think anybody thinks south carolina is there right now but if south carolina like you said can go toe to toe for four quarters make it a close competitive game i think that's going to show a lot for the progression of the program if you will a game against florida a team that south carolina had beat last year and let really let a game slip away and one of the worst losses in the must champ era that one I think is gonna be pivotal for the revenge factor to get that nasty taste out of your mouth. And like I said, at Tennessee. I just think, Brad, it's a three game stretch that really, to me, is gonna define where this South kind of program is right now in regards to the SEC East hierarchy.
2: I think it's gonna define Will Muschamp in, in year four as well. Not you know, not just a team. No one likes to hear this, but you know, Muschamp, the cold hard facts are that he's lost ten straight games against top twenty five teams. And that's the longest active streak for any SEC head coach. Talking about Matt Luke, Derek Mason, Barry Odom, guys like that. They they've beaten ranked teams, you know, the the last ten times they've they've faced them. But it is what it is. You know, I I think it's fair to judge Muschamp's tenure at the end of 2020 and not at the end of 2019. You know, there there's been some hot seat buzz over the last couple of months, basically because it's the off season and, and right now the two main storylines concerning Gamecock football, you know, if you're not a fan following recruiting, it's, you know, how much longer does Muschamp have and can the Gamecocks, you know, not flatline against the nation's toughest to schedule. So, you know, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, I think are three really good, really good picks. You know, that, that game at Georgia, we're going to tell once again, is, is the stage too big for the Gamecocks? Um, you and I have talked about Chris, that um, of those three big games, we think Georgia is the most winnable. You know, we'll I'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, the the UF game, though, is is one I think that that um, is certainly a toss-up game. I'd probably give the Gators the edge, you know, gun to my head right now. But um, that's a game South Carolina should have won last season. Jay Bentley played great for two and a half quarters. And then I, I, I put that loss really uh, on the coaching staff in the second half. And then the game at Tennessee, um, that's one that I have – uh, pick different than most, you know, prognosticators early. And, uh, you know, Muschamp's going to get a chance to beat a ranked team this year, though. He, he's he's going to face as as many as five during the regular season. So if, you know, Gamecocks do not beat one of these five top 25 teams they're going to play, and we're talking about, you know, a 15-game losing streak for Muschamp against ranked competition heading into year five, I mean, how can anybody say that that's progress?
1: that that is that is just disturbing to hear honestly I I was going to say to you about the three game stretch the Georgia Florida Tennessee I mean wouldn't you say there's a good chance all three of those teams are ranked I mean that's at least a possibility I maybe not Tennessee that late in the season but Georgia and Florida I mean there certainly is a good chance both of those teams are ranked by the time South Carolina plays them so I've talked to you about this you know kind of off air as well but the like you mentioned you know Will Muschamp struggles against ranked opponents I mean I've said to you, I think it's, I think it's going to be inexcusable if South Carolina cannot break through and beat a ranked opponent this year, just because of the amount of ranked teams they play. I mean, you feel like you could almost get lucky and beat a ranked opponent this year. You play so many of them. I think that's going to be another huge floating storyline as well.
2: Well, it's going to be hard to, you know, it's it's going to be hard to beat Bama, Georgia, or Clemson with, with just luck. Um, Gamecocks do need a little bit more than than just luck to beat those three teams. Really, they they need elite quarterback play. But, but even more than Jake Bentley, it's, you know, holding their own at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Jake Bentley is not the reason that, you know, he's, he's won in 14 during his tenure against ranked teams. You know, he he might have lost maybe two or three of those games be, because of bad decisions. But the Gamecocks have not been good up front against nationally ranked teams. It just so happens that, you know, nine of those 14 losses have been against, you know, probably top ten competition. Um, it, it doesn't help that Georgia and Clemson are on the schedule every year. Both of them are obviously national title favorites now uh, during the last few seasons. So um, I was actually asked last week, you know, is is there heat on Champ because of Clemson's success? And I think it's, it's a fair question to ask. It's somewhat un, unfair because, you know, Clemson does not play the same schedule the Gamecocks do. But, um, you know, right now Clemson is just lapping South Carolina – in recruiting. And that, that has certainly shown, you know, during the last four national title games. So um, I'm with you that, that must champ needs to be the ranked team this year because of the sheer number of teams he faces. But um, if that happens, I think the best chance would be either at A&M in November, uh, Gamecocks always play the Aggies tough, but it's a team that they can't beat for some reason. And then, you know, that, that home game against Florida, um, I think matchup wise, the Gamecocks is going to be pretty good against the Gators.
1: Yeah, and getting back to the uh, the comment you mentioned, Brad, about the entire line of scrimmage, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I, I would ar- argue that's why South Carolina's lost five in a row to Kentucky. They've just been physically whipped up front. And uh, I know you Agreed. cited this. I know you cited this stat a little bit ago, but Phil Steele's magazine that came out, the Gamecocks, twenty and four when they rush for over a hundred yards under Will Muschamp. I mean, that's simply just winning the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, it's. The, the proof is in the pudding. The proof's in the statistics. When South Carolina wins up front, they normally win the game. So, um, let's move into, Brad, something we've been talking about, the big three games, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama. Um, South Carolina fans obviously struggling with coping. You talked about Clemson's success, Georgia's success. And then you add the Alabama-Crimson tie to the schedule, which the game's in Williams-Brice. It's going to be a 3.30 kickoff on CBS and a game that um, – I think is it's it's a very weird perception right now of Alabama because the last we saw them they were getting shellacked in the national championship by Clemson. But I warn people not to sleep on the Crimson Tide. We know how Nick Saban and his team comes out after losing uh, a national title game, especially in the in the fashion they lost. Let's talk about the most winnable game of those Big Three because I think that would I think you win one of those Big Three, Brad, unless the rest of the season just falls apart. I think South Carolina fans would be close to already calling it a successful season. If you can pull off an upset in one of the big three, I know we teased a little bit earlier, but which would you say of the big three is the best potential for an upset?
3: I think
2: you're exactly right. You know, you you beat Georgia on the road in October. You know, you're, you're talking about going from six and six to potentially eight and four if you can get another one of those wins, you know, with momentum from that game. Um, I think of those three games, though, uh, Alabama is definitely the toughest game. Um, <clears throat> I do not see the Gamecocks uh, keeping that one too close. Uh, I think right now, Bama's an 18-point favorite. That's the first line that I saw. Uh, that's one, despite coming at home, and you know, i I know all the magic that happened in 2010. This is a much different team. This is a a much more talented Bama team, believe it or not. Despite you know that that 2009 squad coming off a national title, I mean this team was. Um, you know, it, it got throttled by Clemson in January, but for 12 weeks there, I mean, Tua Tonga Valoa was, you know, setting records on third down. He was so good last season. So, Bama's kind of a quick strike team that that worries me matchup-wise with the Gamecocks. Um, and then getting to Georgia and Clemson, I think between those two games, the, the Gamecocks could, could pull an upset with either one. But that road game at Georgia is the one that I have circled that I think could perhaps turn the tides on this season from a 500- you know, bowl eligibility finish to possibly eight wins. And now we're talking about, you know, getting into that bowl realm where you might find a a game in Central Florida to go to in January. So the, the way Georgia plays, I think, is is conducive to South Carolina keeping it close. Uh, last season, you know, uh, we we mentioned Miko Hardman had a couple long touchdowns that were really, really uncharacteristic of a very good secondary for the Gamecocks. Uh, he got he got behind two safeties twice and turned that game into a rout. Um, Gamecock's never recovered either after that early pick six off the hands of Rico Dowdle. So uh, Gamecock's going to have to prove that the spotlight is, is not too big in Athens, but they've won there before. And, you know, Jake Fromm's 13-0 and at home going into his junior season. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, South Carolina can keep that one close and, you know, maybe have an opportunity in the fourth quarter to win the game.
1: Now, Brad, this is definitely one that I've been torn on. I first off want to say I agree with you about Alabama. I know that it's – I think the over-under on amount of times highlights from 2010 are played during that week is at about a million. I think I think we're going to see about a million different highlights from the 2010 South Carolina-Alabama game, but I agree with okay. you. I have I've talked on my show. I mean, how many
2: Marcus Lattimore's and Alshon Jackson's does South Carolina have right now? That's the
1: thing. Marcus, you know, we're going to get to the game itself in just a second, but those guys aren't walking through the door. And I've told people, I I would honestly, I'd hammer Bama minus 17 gun to head right now. I hate to say that, and I would love to eat my words, but that's what I would do. Between, Between Clemson and Georgia, as far as most winnable, you know, I've gone back and forth, because I do agree with you, Brad, that the style of play really opens up the potential to keep it close with Georgia, to have the potential to have the upset. But when I just think of the two games, at Georgia and Clemson at home, when I think of those two games, I mean, you can help me figure out if this makes sense or not. I think matchup-wise and style of game-wise, like you said, I think the better potential is for Georgia. But as far as just purely pulling an upset, when I look at the two who I feel better about, it's Clemson. I, I just – because – I think it's because of the game being at home. I fully expect it to be a night game at williams Bryce Stadium. And I know it didn't – it didn't go well the last time Clemson was in town. Everybody was hyped up for that one. South Carolina was an eight-win team. I believe they were eight and three. They had just cracked the top 25, and Clemson came in and really dominated the football game. I would argue this is a much better team from that 2017 team, and we saw – you know, we saw what Jake Bentley did to Clemson's defense last year, which I think is going to give Gamecock fans hope that, you know, I don't expect Jake Bentley to pass for 500 yards again, but that maybe he can have success against that Clemson defense. But when I look at the two games, I feel better, I think, about the matchups and the style of play keeping South Carolina in the game against Georgia. But I feel better about actually winning the game and pulling the upset against Clemson at home. Does, does my logic make any sense there?
2: I think it does because you're you're playing up the theatric role, which in college football, that's what makes this that's, game so great. I, I, mean, you, I agree. You know, you're going to have Senior Day, Jake Bentley, uh, possibly going into that game, you know, having not beaten a ranked team since his freshman season against Tennessee, and, you know, how more fitting would it be to ride off into the sunset against 11 O Clemson and, you know, give them their first loss of the season, which, you know, Clemson's schedule is so bad this year that there's a chance if Clemson wins the ACC at 12-1, and with that loss to South Carolina, maybe the Tigers, you know, don't make the final four. But I just think matchup wise, man, and and one more thing about Clemson's game last year against them, you know, Billy thrown for five ten and, you know, multiple scores to Debo. What what impressed me the most about that game was it's it's the first time that I've seen Brent Venables get out coached on a big stage in, in several years. I mean, Clemson goes and a few weeks later dominates Notre Dame, you know, make makes to a, tongue of a lower look human week after that national title game so I don't know if the Tigers defensive staff took the Gamecocks lightly maybe and we're, were prepping early for the ACC title game that that next week but uh, Jake Bentley certainly made uh I mean one of the better games of his career for sure and and Debo made himself some money in that game but um I don't I don't think we we see a repeat of that I think it was a perfect storm um in a way with, with like I mentioned Clemson maybe not not having total focus, but if Tigers come into williams Bryce 11-0. and I mean, that'll, that'll be one of the toughest tickets to get in college football. Better believe it.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. All right, Brad, let's get into our most important game of the 2019 season. Then we're going to start breaking these games down game by game, give our records. But let's first, again, talk about the most important game of the 2019 season. I don't think this is any surprise. You and I believe the most important game is the home matchup against Kentucky.
2: And I think for the first time in five years, maybe excluding the 2017 game, this is the most winnable game against Kentucky uh, the Gamecocks have had. Um, three of those five years, South Carolina has been favored. Um, last year's game I thought was easy money. I think the spread was was two and a half. And I mean, how could anybody take South Carolina to win that game in Lexington when Kentucky had won four straight? You know, and and, and knowing how bad the Gamecocks sometimes play on the road, um, that that was a tough game last season. It, it kind of went the way I. Was Expect it to go, but for for the 2019 installment, man, I, I I just don't see there a way that South Carolina loses that game because it it means so much to the program, um, not only Will Muschamp but but in recruiting as well. I mean, it's it's really tough to to sell a product that you know you're you're on the come up, but you know you you haven't beaten Kentucky in in half a decade, and they're coming off a 10 win season. So, uh, look, looking at both rosters though, I mean, you know Terry Wilson, quarterback at Kentucky. Um, if I'm Trevors Robertson, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't scare me. And then to to lose Josh Allen, I mean, a, a Jadavion Clowney-like pass rusher, one of the best players in program history. Um, I just don't see Kentucky dominating the, the line of scrimmage against the Gamecocks the way it has been the last couple of seasons. And then without Benny Snell, I mean, AJ Rose is a very good back. I think he has a chance to get a thousand yards to see this for the Wildcats. But you know, he was the workhorse. He was the guy that. When it wasn't going right on offense, you just feed benny snell and and he'll get you long gains and and chain movers. but um I just don't see Kentucky coming to Columbia and winning that game, but I will say this: if they do, I think it's very safe that the under five and a half is is going to be the real deal for south carolina i mean we're 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 talking about a a potential four and eight type collapse if the Gamecocks lose that week five game against the Wildcats.
1: Oh, I agree a hundred percent with that. And I would say, you know, back to what we talked about earlier, I mean, again, like you said, and on the recruiting trail and just period, you're you're not going to be able to convince anyone that losing after losing to Kentucky, God forbid it happened for a sixth straight year that, uh, that the program is headed in the right direction. And, and like you said, I mean, with Kentucky losing Benny Snell, losing Josh Allen, especially Benny Snell, that's a guy I know South Carolina fans are ecstatic. He is not wearing the blue and white anymore, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, Brad, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I mean, I am 100% supportive of Will Muschamp. I think you know that. I think I'm as supportive, if not more supportive, of the Will Muschamp era and Muschamp being the head coach than a lot of other South Carolina fans. You know, I had a, a different podcast asking about, you we know, how do South Carolina fans feel about Will Muschamp? And, you know, I said it's still very – you know, kind of they're in show-me mode, which I think is a fair assessment. I think there's a lot of Gamecock fans that weren't thrilled with the hire. Obviously, we know it wasn't South Carolina's first choice at the time. Um, So there were a lot of fans that were not thrilled with the hire, especially the struggles he had at Florida. But I think that, again, with the progress we talked about earlier, that if they can have a decent season this year, it's going to show progress and people are going to start to believe and, you know, believe in what this program is building. But, yeah, Brad, with another loss to Kentucky, I mean, even I will start to question – is Will Muschamp the guy for this program? I just don't let, know how you can justify. It. I really don't.
2: Let me ask you this too. So, so let's let's look in the future. And the you know 2019 season is over. If if the Gamecocks lose to Kentucky and A and M, and Will Muschamp's 0 and 8 against those two schools after four years, I mean, how can anyone say that that's progress? Uh, Gamecocks are are going to beat Kentucky this year, so I I don't think that you know fans have to worry about that. But you know, at at what point? During these last three seasons, have Gamecock fans gone into a game and, and thought, you know, Must Champ is going to outcoach the guy across from him? I think the biggest knock on him so far is, you know, he's he's known as a great motivator of players, uh, builds build these guys into leaders, and is a terrific recruiter. But, you know, how is he on game days? And I think his record right now against top 25 teams and against some of the better squads on the Gamecock schedule. Um, proves what you need to know. So th- this is a this is a very big season for Muschamp, and even though this most important game is not against a ranked team, I mean no one would have imagined that Muschamp has a chance to be 0-4 against Kentucky after four seasons. That that right there just to me would not warrant a a long term extension. And I think it's a game that um, not only fans are circling, but you know Ray Tanner boosters and the Gamecocks power brasses as well.
1: Yeah, it's going to be hard, too, because they're obviously still building as a program. I mean, it's just going to be hard to convince boosters, convince to, to give money. And it's all about fundraising, right, and giving money. and Sure. Increase. I mean, how are you going to sell season tickets? That's something that, I mean, just it all goes hand in hand. I think it's a game, again, like we talked, Brad, that, you know, it's a it's a should win. It's a must win. It's a have to win. It's an important to win. And if you win it, if South Carolina goes in and wins it and goes into the buy, you know, let's just say they're three and two, four and one, whatever. Let's say they're at that record; they're doing pretty well. If South Carolina wins it, I think it's just a simple, all right, monkey off the back. We can finally stop talking about Kentucky. I think if you lose them, it it that carryover effect might ruin the rest of the season. I, I mean, it, I think it'll have that big of a shockwave effect throughout the south kind of program i, I just i really do I, I so i think it's so so pivotal for south carolina to get that win all right let's let's move into it finally brad game by game predictions we're going to go through each of these talk about them a little bit give our score predictions until we finally get to the end and have an overall record let's start um with the matchup against north carolina gamecocks taking on unc 330 kickoff in charlotte in the belt college kickoff game Brad, South Carolina have been very, very, very good against these North Carolina teams of late. I know that's something you have documented. The Gamecocks have won 18 of their last 19 season openers. The last one they lost, obviously 2014 to Texas A&M. And the Gamecocks' last season opener in Charlotte was against NC State in 2017. South Carolina a thrilling win in that one. Um, I know the line in this one, Brad, has opened up Gamecock seven and a half. I I I personally feel like that's maybe a little bit low. I think there's a little bit of the Mac Brown. Or, if you will, his return to college football coming back, but how do you see this game playing out because i 'll be honest i 'll go ahead and give you my score i 've got South Carolina winning this one twenty seven to ten i just I think South Carolina is going to really be able to attack North carolina defensively i 'm actually pretty high on the South Carolina defense coming into this season. I think they have as much athleticism as many playmakers as they had on that side of the ball since two thousand and thirteen to be honest with you, but uh, I think they 'll be in the backfield all day there 's a good chance unT starting a freshman at quarterback, and I think you know, 27 points is okay, but I think South Carolina the first couple of weeks, at least, Brad, is going to be kind of getting used to life without Debo Samuel sort of feeling it out and figuring out who is that go-to playmaker. But, I mean, I guess my question to you, Brad, obviously besides your score prediction, I mean, the seven and a half, what does it say if the Gamecocks say they win but can't cover that spread? Should South Carolina fans be worried going throughout that game or going throughout the season, if you will?
2: I don't think they should be worried, you know, based on how – you know Gamecock fans all of our listeners know that every now and then season openers despite South Carolina being successful in all of them you know there there's several you know hold your breath moments um you know from from Connor Shaw's failed start against ECU to you know Garcia coming in and and saving that game to the seven to three game in in Raleigh against NC State about nine or ten years ago I mean there's several season opening games that Maybe aren't the blowouts that that people expect, and you have even, to kind uh, even,
1: even Steve Spurrier's first game against UCF, twenty four to fifteen. I remember that was a really close. Was that game. a
2: Thursday night game? That too? was the Thursday night. Yep, I remember watching that one. Yeah, I mean, this is a game that, like I mentioned in the beginning, that you know South Carolina is better at almost all twenty two starting positions. I think it'll be interesting, however, that you know UNC will be breaking in a a new quarterback, and true freshman Sam Howell might get the start. So. Gamecocks are not going to have any film on him but you know it's it's kind of cool that that you picked 27 to 10 my my score was 31 to 10 uh Gamecocks defense is usually a little ahead of schedule early in the season more so than the offense but this is a game that I think uh you're going to see Shy Smith maybe break out with multiple touchdowns he's a guy that I think may lead the team in yards and catches this season despite being you know maybe the the number 2 option behind Brian Edwards um I, i'm a little bit afraid to pick a you know three touchdown win based on how the gamecocks looked last time they played at you know panther stadium in charlotte but um i think the gamecocks have been looking to erase that 28 point shutout to virginia and um kind of you know put a statement on the 2019 season to start things out and um i mean i will say this that the tar heels will be in very good position in the acc coastal by maybe the 2021 season. I, I like what Mac Brown is doing, has a pretty good staff. Getting Tim Brewster from A&M was one of the best hires of the offseason, not just in the ACC, but across college football. Um, and, you know, th- those seasons that UNC is going to miss Clemson and Florida State from the Atlantic, I think they can be a division title contender down the road. But uh, not this year. Gamecocks haven't lost to a team from North Carolina, I want to say, since the 80s. Um, I think 11-0 and right now during the last 15 years or so against, you know, UNC, ECU, and NC State. So, um, Gamecocks have been doing a good job winning that border war, recruiting and on the field, and I think it continues.
1: It was actually 1999, Brad, just so you know, for a, uh, the last loss to a North Carolina It's NCAA the rain State. game rain It is NC State. It's the rain game, yeah, his first season yeah. at Carolina. But I think you bring up a fantastic point, Brad, about, you know, I think there's this game goes so far beyond just getting an opening win, which – I think you and I can both agree. This one is a must win. If South Carolina loses the North Carolina game, it completely flips the perception of this season. I mean, like you're saying, the over under five and a half, you know, the, the under is going to be gold there. I mean, it just it completely flips the perception of this season. But I think it's just super important for South Carolina to come out and, you know, not only win, I mean, not only win the game, but look good doing so because they just looked so porous. they looked so bad in their last trip to Charlotte in that belt bowl, I think it's just so important for Carolina to come out in, especially early. I think it's important for South Carolina to start early because it needs to get rid of that bad taste in its mouth that was the belt bowl.
2: I think you're right. I mean, th- th- this offense hadn't scored in the last, what, six quarters? Right. Uh, didn- yeah, Didn't score against Akron in the second half, and then, you know, laid a goose egg in and- Charlotte in the bowl game. So, um, all that, you know, hype we were giving Brian McClendon, myself included, in November and early December I mean you know he he needs to show up now in this 2019 season opener after that extension I I think they will um it, it will not surprise me however though if you know you're you're watching college game day on August 31st and you see a couple of those talking heads pick UNC because for whatever reason man they they believe UNC is back and might might make a bowl in, in in year 1 under Mack Brown I I'm here to tell you they they are not going bowling this season
1: I agree with you. Again. I've, so,
2: I've I've studied that roster. the The schedule's relatively easy, but they're they're not ready yet to go six and six.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you again. I I think it's a game South Carolina covers the seven and a half. They get a pretty comfortable win. Uh, all right, so we've both got South Carolina starting out one and zero. Let's move to Charleston Southern. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this one. I think this is a game that you and I can both agree. Um, I mean, should it be looked at as a tune up for Alabama? I mean, you don't want to disrespect your opponent, but I kind of see this one playing out. Very, very similar to, say, how Chattanooga played out last year for South Carolina the game where it's just – I mean, listen, I think the perception sometimes for South Carolina football gets twisted in the fact they're just a horrible team, whereas, you know, South Carolina hasn't been good against ranked competition, but this is still a roster with talent, and I think that talent will shine in a game like Charleston Southern. What say you, Brad?
2: Hey, this might be Tavian Feaster's first 100-yard game for the Gamecocks, right? No, he, I, <laughs> I know he hasn't signed yet, and, and he hasn't made it official, but this this is one of those games where I think a few of the South Carolina's newcomers, uh, Feaster included, if he does pick South Carolina, is going to show out. Um, I would expect Ryan Helensky also to play a few possessions this game. So th- this is a home game, a home opener that um, I think if Gamecock fans, you know, want to see some of the new guys, some of the freshmen, some of the JUCO transfer guys. Um, you know, you want to see some of those guys play snaps. This will be the game for you. Uh, McClendon probably will, will air it out a little bit more than usual. And uh, Jake Bentley, right now, I want to say he's seven touchdowns away from tying the program record. So, um, if he gets three against UNC, four against Charleston Southern, he's he's tied at heading into Bama.
1: No doubt. You got a score for this one or, or uh, a lot to I've a I've got
2: little, 49-7 least. in my notes. Um yeah, I- I've got 49 three. to seven. I don't know what the line will be, though.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I, I think it'll be a uh, a no Pick bet. For sure. Right. But I, I've got South Carolina 41-14 kind of similar to you. Again, I think it'll be a okay. game, like I said, similar to, I think similar to Chattanooga last year where you're going to see, I mean, I don't know. We can go back and forth on this as well, Brad. I mean, do you think South Carolina's because it's early in the season, you're still kind of trying to figure out all the pieces, you know, working together and getting your your rhythm, but at the same time, does South Carolina necessarily play its starters in the second half? Because you're, I mean, it's going to be a physical game with Alabama, no doubt, and you'll have them looming. That'll be the one fans will be. I mean, I think South Carolina fans, at least locally, will be talking about that Bama game the week of the Charleston Southern game. I don't think that's that's any secret at all which is I mean,
2: very dangerous to do it, it is it is <laughs> no I think yeah
1: it is I think South Carolina fans have learned not to do that because of past history but either way you know how fans are I, I don't think Charleston Southern will be a team being taken very seriously they've got a first year head coach sure. there um, obviously some questions at quarterback I know it's actually funny uh, we learned news yesterday uh, earlier last week that uh, former Gamecocks quarterback Darius Douglas that was actually his landing spot he's at Charleston Southern now and can play immediately so I think a very Maybe an interesting storyline for that game as well. But I agree with you. I think we should see – I think this should be the first time we see Ryan Holinsky and Garnet and Black on the field in game action, which I know will excite South Carolina fans. Um, oh, yeah. you know. So, I think it's going to be a game, like you said, for a lot of the, the newcomers, a lot of the uh, the younger guys to get in there and play. But, again, we both got the game Gamecocks getting a big win there, going to 2-0 and and setting up the primetime CBS matchup with Alabama, the one that everyone's been looking at. One of the games everyone's been looking at all offseason, again, it's a it's a rematch. It's a showdown of the 2010 game, which South Carolina got a a huge upset win, one of the biggest wins in program history. I know you would agree, Brad, 35-21 to 21 over Alabama. Steven Garcia's best game of his career. But like we mentioned before, Steven Garcia, Alshon Jeffrey, Marcus Lattimore, all those NFL talent from that defense, they're not walking through that door. They're not running through that tunnel in this one. Um, Brad, what are you? Uh, let's let's take the first off. I, I don't think you have the Gamecocks getting the upset, but secondly, what are you going to be looking for most of this one? Because again, as someone that's a national college football writer, Brad, you're extremely familiar with this Alabama team depth chart, coaching staff, really sure. the ins and outs and workings of Alabama.
2: Yeah, I've, I've I've watched as much Alabama play snap to snap as I have Gamecocks over the last five years, and I. And, and I've watched every South Carolina game the last, you know, decade plus. So
1: no doubt. So when like you I, look, go ahead.
2: Like I know the, the conditions will be there, you know, sell out on CBS, Darius Rucker concert the night before all eyes on Columbia college game day possibility and all that. But man, the the more I study this matchup, I, I just don't see a, a path to a South Carolina win. Um, I think a lot of the regular season games and, and there haven't been many that, that Bama has lost over the last decade, including that one in Columbia, um, the the opposing team has been able to, you know, hit Alabama in the mouth early. So it, it, if we're seeing a situation where maybe the game get the ball first and are able to go ahead seven nothing, um Bama's rarely rattled, but in a road environment, um Alabama is beatable and that's that's kind of the key situation there. Um after the first quarter Uh, Bama, Bama, last season, I think Bama was, I want to say nine and three or so against the first quarter spread. And, and these were spreads of like 10 and 14 points. So they were, they were great at getting up on teams and, you know, giving you the business in the first half. So, um, Gamecocks have to keep this a game after the first quarter. And I think if they can go into, you, you know, halftime down a score or less, uh, anything can happen after intermission.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Brad, how important do you think it is in this game? Because, again, this is going to be – you talked about all the records against ranked opponents and South Carolina the lights seeming just to be too bright for the Gamecocks in these type of games as of late. I mean, this is going to be the first test. This is going to be the first opportunity for South Carolina in 2019 to to change that narrative. I mean, obviously, again, I don't think it's sure. realistic to come into this game and say South Carolina's for sure going to win that one. It's prime for an upset, the perfect scenario. But – I mean, how important is it for South Carolina? Again, on a national stage, I have to feel like these are the type of games that, you know, I know rec- in recruiting and recruits don't necessarily pay that close of attention to on-field results. So a lot of different factors go into it. But for the perception of South Carolina's program, I mean, how important is it in this one on a national stage in Columbia to maybe not win the game, but at least make Bama sweat for three quarters?
2: I mean, I think a win in this game would, would be a, you know, 45 to 34 type loss. I mean, to be honest with you, that would, that would cover the 18 points. It would be probably a respectable showing from Jake Bentley and that Gamecock offense. And look, I mean, South Carolina is not going to shut down Alabama offensively. You know, they're going to have to avoid those backbreaking plays that Tua to Jerry Judy, the Blitnikoff winner from last year did so many times. I mean, on, on third and 12, you have to get Alabama off the field when third and 12 last season was, was two was bread and butter. Um, I mean, he, he had an absurd passer rating on, on third and long last season. And that's where Bama kills you. You know, Judy in, in one step can get by safety and go 75 yards. So, you know, the a few things we know going into this game, South Carolina is not going to be able to run the football no matter who they have back there. Nobody runs the ball in Alabama. They They've been the most dominant team against the run over the last decade, Saban prides himself on that. But like I mentioned earlier, if the, the Gamecocks can can avoid the the crucial giveaways and, you know, giving Alabama short fields, they, they have to keep it close and, and, you know, make Alabama have these 10, 12 play long scoring drives. If they can do that and, you know, Bama scores maybe 35 or fewer points, um I think it'll be respectable and and they can cover but my my final score right now is is 4520. Um Alabama's a team that I've I've got finishing unbeaten during the regular season and and meeting Georgia and Atlanta for the East. So um they they're very good uh talent wise obviously probably seven or eight first round picks out of this starting 22 which is absurd and and w- would be a new college football record. So um this is the best Bama team uh possibly saving his had. and going against the schedule this season, Bama's win total right now is eleven and a half. I'd I'd probably put a hundred bucks on the over. They're they're gonna be that good.
1: For sure. And I I think it's a, a very respectable score prediction. Just some stats for you going in this game, Brad. South Carolina, they've actually won three of the last five in this series. Um, but I thought something very interesting. South Carolina's lost their last five SEC home openers. So this would be the sixth straight SEC loss. Wow, that's surprising. If the game, yeah, especially when you think back to um, – How the
2: mighty have fallen, right? Right,
1: exactly. exactly. Go from a 18-game winning streak at williams Bryce to that stat. Um, I agree with you, though. I-, I just think Alabama's got too much. I'm going in this game I- – I don't want to say with low expectations because I, I do – I will say I'll be in the building. I'm going to expect South Carolina to compete. I- that- that's just – I don't think it's asking too much of this South Carolina team, at least early to ride a wave of emotion and come out and compete. But Alabama has too many athletes. Bama is the team that – I will be honest with you, Brad. I think Bama is the team that scares me the most on the South Carolina schedule. I'm just I'm – I'm not buying the hype that Alabama is. Oh, the, the dynasty is over. Clemson's taking over college football. Once, someone very wise once told me, you never get rich betting against Alabama, and I would not bet against Alabama here. I've got Bama winning 38-17. to 17. Um, So, covering the spread there, I, again, I just think Alabama's got too many athletes. And, you know, I, not to pour it all on him, like you mentioned, Brad, but if we know South Carolina's not going to be able to run the football. And putting the game entirely on Jake Bentley, we've seen how that's worked out in the past, and I don't expect it to work out very well this time either. So, I think Bama
2: – Something to, to watch, too – um, Saban is sixteen and zero against former assistants, and Will Muschamp, one of his former assistants. I, I think yep. Saban is going to play three former assistants this year too. So, um, that'll be interesting. The the two coaching staffs have very good relationships, and this is not a game where, if, you know, it's it, it's thirty five seven and a half. That'll that'll be closer to the final because Saban's not
1: a not not the kind of coach who's going to run it up. Right, no doubt, no doubt. So we've got the Gamecocks going two and one into a game. You mentioned Brad is. A pivotal, I think, can certainly be looked at as a must-win in a game that could define the 2019 season. That's South Carolina's road trip to Columbia, Missouri, the Battle of the Mayor Cup. The Gamecocks, like you mentioned, have won three in a row in this series. Uh, Missouri, obviously, breaking in new quarterback Kelly Bryant after Drew Locke's departure to the NFL draft. you know, simply put, Brad, I'll ask you, who wins this one? I think, again, this is one of those swing games that if South Carolina's going to exceed expectations in 2019, it's got to find a way to go on the road and pull this one off.
2: Yeah, and I've got South Carolina winning 28-24 in um, and, and one of those must-win situations, I think, if the game GameCops are going to get to a bowl game. This is one of those five swing games, toss-up, whatever you want to call them, that we, we spoke about earlier. You know, what, what's very interesting, though, Mizzou could lose this game and still be 6-1 and one with, without much issues going into the Georgia game. You, look at Missouri's schedule this year, man. This is the kind of schedule where if South Carolina had it, we're talking about possibly a 9- or 10-win team. I mean, that, that's, that's what you know schedule favorability, that's the role it plays with, in the SEC every year. Um, Mizzou's not going to leave home but only once. The first seven weeks of the season not going to play a ranked team until November when they travel to Georgia. So if I'm Barry Odom, I'm, I'm thanking my lucky stars right now because I'm going to look pretty good with Kelly Bryant at quarterback, even if I lose to South Carolina at probably six and one going to November. So um, if, if there's an over-under win total bet um, that, that, I, that I like in the SEC this season, Mizzou at six and a half right now, just – it it seems like it's way too low. The The schedule – there, there's five or six automatic wins on it already. Um, if Mizzou were to beat the Gamecocks, there's your seventh win to hit the over. So I'm, I'm picking South Carolina because I think Muschamp has a beat on Mizzou and is is doing well in this rivalry. But um, outside of this pick, though, Mizzou over six and a half wins. I'm, I'm giving that one out. That's a that's a freebie for
1: you. It, Brad, am I, I feel like every single – go I am going to go. know through- you're not sold on Mizzou, man. No, no, no I, not. Not. I just want to tell you. I'm going to go through the beginning of the schedule. I was actually going to go on something different, not specifically their team, but the schedule you were talking about. Mizzou plays at Wyoming, West Virginia without Will Greer, I should mention, Southeast Missouri, South Carolina. They have a bye week. They play Troy, Ole Miss, at Vanderbilt, at Kentucky, and then a bye week before Georgia. I feel like, Brad, every single year – Missouri That's Christmas morning, right? Right. Well, yeah. Like I, every single year, Missouri. I don't want to say they're like overinflated, if you will, but they start out three and o, four and o, four and one because they play four cupcakes to start the season in non conference. Is that? I mean, I know that there have been some SEC teams. I think there's been like a running joke that Florida plays nobody in non conference and maybe Alabama schedules soft. But I mean, I could argue Missouri schedules as soft as anyone I've seen in college football. They play absolutely no one in the non conference.
2: That's why Drew Locke and Matty Mock would have, you know, SEC leading twenty touchdown passes after week four the, the last five or six seasons. I mean, you know, they don't they don't play anybody in the non conference like you mentioned. West Virginia has a new head coach too. Um Troy has a new head coach, lost Neil Brown to West Virginia. So and Mizzou's probably gonna be favored in all these games as well. Um they're they're gonna be favored against the GameCops because that, mm-hmm. that game's at home. And, and they're going to come in three and zero, and South Carolina will will come in with that loss to Bama. So, I mean, Mizzou really, if they take care of business, should be seven and zero traveling to Athens, really without a quality win yet. So, um, this is this is the year for for Barry Odom and the Tigers to make some noise, even without Drew Locke. So, um, they're going to have a good team based on schedule alone.
1: What did you say your score prediction was, Brad? Was it twenty eight to twenty four? 28-24, That's correct. Mine is going to be actually Carolina winning twenty-seven to twenty-four. So we we have pretty much identical score predictions. But yeah, I think this is one again a a swing game on the schedule, if you will, that will go back and forth. I think uh, there. I, I don't know if there will be any extra motivation with the team per se, but I know this will be one that South Carolina fans really want to get because of Kelly Bryant being on the other side and him beating the Gamecocks back in two thousand seventeen. But yeah, I just think that uh, South Carolina's had their way in this rivalry. This game, I will say, Brad, kind of scares me a little bit. I, I'm i not – you are correct. I'm not buying the Mizzou hype, if you will, but it's a game that scares me because South Carolina has won three in a row. They stole one. They maybe shouldn't have won last year, and it just kind of feels like everything always – what goes around comes around. It feels like one of those games that maybe Missouri might get South Carolina back one time. but. Either way, I'm picking South Carolina to win it. I think it's a game they, they really, really need to win in a game, like you mentioned before, that's going to define the season. So I've got Carolina winning 27-24. Brad's got them 28-24 Carolina winning. And we've got the Gamecocks at 3-1 and one now going into a pivotal, pivotal home matchup against the Kentucky Wildcats. Brad, there's no chance that Kentucky can win for the sixth straight year, right? There's just no chance.
2: Look at it this way, man if the Gamecocks win this game and go four and one after five weeks of the season, I mean, you'll, you'll have entire South Carolina nation ready to extend must champ. I mean, that, that's, that's the way it goes week to week in college yep. football. You string together a couple wins and everybody's ready to, you know, sign the guy five more years. That's why, that's why this game is just so important. Uh, he has not beaten Kentucky or A&M during his tenure. And in my opinion, those are two comparable programs that you know South Carolina is trying to either leap past, you know, stay on the same level, that sort of thing. Uh, the the money's different at A and M. They they've invested seventy five million into their coach, but um, I think Mark Stoops doesn't get enough credit. I saw something last week where you know Cash Daniel, Wildcats linebacker, is bashing every analyst who's picking Kentucky to go six and six or worse this year. Um, I'm I'm staying with my pick. I, I don't. I don't think Kentucky makes a bowl game this season. Go goes from 10 and three to, to five and seven. Um, I just think they, they lost too much last season was kind of lightning in a bottle. They, they won 10 games just despite poor quarterback play. I mean, you know, you're, you, you watch a team like South Carolina play. If, if they have poor quarterback play they they're not going bowling whatsoever. And Kentucky wins 10 games because they won with defense in a running game. Uh, two things that must is trying to figure out right now. So. Um, I think it'll be an interesting game. Um, I'm taking 31-17, so so Gamecocks probably cover the – I'm expecting a a six-and-a-half-point spread. So, you know, four-and-one after five weeks, heading into the bye before Georgia, that's exactly where Will Muschamp wants to be. And South Carolina might be ranked in that scenario if that game against Bama is respectable.
1: I I can't wait to see the Kentucky fan outrage and maybe even hear Mark Stoops as well – if if wow, in, yeah. South Carolina is a six and a half point favorite in that game, because I was going to ask you about what do you make of, you know, Mark Stoops has gone publicly making statements. I don't know if you heard. I think a couple of weeks ago, Kentucky had an assistant coach basically call out and say that it's the same as the way yep. coaches are fired for not performing, reporters should be fired. Media members should be fired for making incorrect predictions I mean what are you I know yeah that I'll be taking all bets that week from Kentucky fans <laughs> I mean they're gonna they're gonna be
2: slamming my mentions all week I can't believe you're taking the Gamecocks to beat them again no this this is the year it happens South Carolina cannot lose six consecutive years to like we've mentioned man a a program that the Gamecocks feel they're better than you know that they they can't pretend to say that until it happens until they win and you know this is going to set up well for South Carolina, like I said, going into the bye with with really the the SEC East, uh, you know, still in the driver's seat. You know, if, if they beat Missouri and Kentucky, and you know, start the SEC season two and one with that loss to Bama, you know, they're they're still in control of their own destiny. So, a very big game for Will Muschamp and and very big game for the program. They lose this, then you can only imagine the you know, Sunday afternoon, Monday morning quarterback that's going to unfold in Columbia when Muschamp loses four straight to Kentucky.
1: I think we're, and then six straight overall. I just think we're having a completely different discussion about the future of this program, the future of Will Muschamp. I think eyebrows will be questions will be raised, and you know, this is such a weird game because uh, Brad. During this losing streak, I'm sure you've done the same. I, you know, maybe you said last year you could see it coming, but I haven't picked South Carolina to lose once to Kentucky. I have not picked this as a loss even the week of once. I mean, I told you in 2017 I had the Gamecocks blowing out Kentucky. I mean, this is just it's not – because
2: no it's because no Gamecock fan respects Kentucky, and then that, that that's that's just the brunt of it. That's that's the truth of it. You you ask any South Carolina radio station, any fan anyone who's, who's followed the program over the last decade, this is the same program that the Gamecocks beat by, you know, 50, 54 to three, I think it was at home during the Connor Shaw era. I mean, and we're only six or seven years removed from that and the Gamecocks really haven't won since. So it's just a, it's a mind boggling stat in a way, you know, out outside of last year's 10 win season. I mean, Kentucky has been, you know, six and six, seven and five all those years. So it's, it's not been a, a, a great program that's continuing to beat the Gamecocks at the line of scrimmage. It's just Kentucky's had their number. Uh, 2017 was the biggest shock to me, though. The Gamecocks were a touchdown favorite in that game, and I think all Gamecock fans went into that one thinking uh, much chance going to roll tonight, 38 to 10, and you know the Gamecocks are back, and that's just not what happened. And you saw uh, Mark Stoops took that win to his advantage and had a 10 win season the year after that. So right now Gamecocks and and Wildcats are on the same level and I think if if Kentucky makes it 6 straight and 4 straight against Will Muschamp, you know, you you have to question uh the trajectory of of this program.
1: Brad, I don't want to spend the entire show obviously talking about Kentucky, but I'll ask you this because <laughs> last year that played out this way and there was an injury late in the game, but Jake Bentley did not play well in this game last year. Let's not sugarcoat it. He 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 the receivers, no the offense didn't play well, but Jake Bentley did not play well again. It goes on his stat line and people are going to blame the quarterback obviously, but I'll ask you this, if Jake Bentley if South Carolina god forbid does lose a 6 straight time to Kentucky and Jake Bentley plays poorly again, what does it say in your mind? Because again, it's one thing to have a have the record he has against top 25 opponents and if he even if he doesn't beat a top 25 opponent this year, as bad as it'll be, it's one thing to say that and look at that record. But if Jake Bentley is to play bad in this game and lose to Kentucky and be winless against Kentucky, I mean, what does it say about his his legacy, his tenure as quarterback at South Carolina?
2: I don't think there's, there's ever been a three-year Gamecock starter who has lost every game in Kentucky, has there?
1: I, I think he'd think be so. the
2: first. I mean, that that would be a, a dubious distinction to hold, I'll tell you that. You know, one thing uh, Jake has in his favor this year, though, a Kentucky replaces – I think three NFL draft picks in that secondary. Everybody talks about Josh Allen, how good UK's front seven was last season. I mean, they they had some dudes in that secondary at the back end, too. safeties who were high draft picks, two two very good corners, and Kentucky loses all that this season. So, um, you know, Wildcat fans, you you ask them, they're they're fully expecting another eight and four, nine and three type season. But um, I think Jake bounces back. Uh, he's always been a quarterback who has has played better at home. I think the one the one biggest knock on Jake that, that he hasn't been able to shake during his career is his struggles in the red zone. That that's one time that, you know, all all Gamecock fans, media alike, hold their breath when South Carolina is inside that twenty yard line, knocking on the door, Jake at times gets a little trigger happy and, you know, tries to fit balls in windows that aren't there. So, um they're, they're gonna have to be good in the red zone against this team and, you know, if if Jake has a Very good, you know, 300-yard, three-touchdown type game. um, I think a lot of fans will forget the uh, previous losses to
3: the Wildcats.
1: Agreed. I'll go ahead, Brad. I've got Carolina winning this one as well. Actually, 34-20. to So, again, our score predictions are very, very similar. I I agree. I think it's just a game. Going into this week, everyone's going to know how important that game is to win for the trajectory of the program, like you mentioned. I I think South Carolina will come out ready to play and – it wouldn't surprise me to see South Carolina really just establish that from the opening snap, this game not being close for a while. Um, I just I just fully expect a focused South Carolina team coming out ready to play because I think South Carolina just knows it can't lose that game against Kentucky. All right, so that'll do it for part one of the two-part series, breaking down the Gamecocks 2019 football season game by game. I know you guys uh, are probably anxious on the edge of your seat as we have South Carolina four and one. Uh, through the first five games of the 2019 season. Obviously, you will have to wait till Thursday for part two to drop. Um, but obviously, I wanted to get you guys involved. I put up a video uh, Saturday afternoon, basically just asking Gamecock fans to call in, leave questions, leave their responses. Really curious to hear how Carolina fans think the 2019 football season is going to go. And you guys did not disappoint, obviously. A lot of good questions, some good voicemails as well. So I'm just going to dive right into it. Let's start uh, with the voicemails here. Hey, this is
3: Zane. Zane underscore squint two on Twitter. Um, Just want to talk about the season. I'm mostly, mainly, the most important game of the year. Definitely, probably going to be a lot of these probably beating a dead horse, uh, but definitely got to be Kentucky. Also, five years in a row, this is most most hit four years. so most hit is 0-3 versus Kentucky at South Carolina right now. They've lost a ton of key guys, and... Really to me an unproven quarterback, even though he's been there a whole year. Um, you know, we and you got like I said, you got him at home. There's no way on earth Kentucky should be South Carolina six straight years. Especially in my fourth year. Um, it's all about winning, you know, the games that you gotta you know, are supposed to win. Um you can't come out against Kentucky, you know, play a little pissed off, you know, a lot of these none of these guys on the roster is Ever be Kentucky. So you got to come out and play pissed off, like, hey, we're not going to let this happen this year. We're standing on the ground, we're going through, and we're playing, playing some ball. You being Jake Bentley, you know, um, he didn't play since Kentucky his freshman year, but his also told his sophomore of the year. So you being Jake Bentley, you know, you got to come out ready to fire, like, this this, this isn't happening. I'm not going to let it happen. And all the other, you know, seniors and juniors and classes that have gotten their asshole by Kentucky their last, you know two or three years you gotta you know you gotta make a stand you gotta you know you gotta come out there and play and another thing I want to hit on is you know um who's gonna be you know uh that offensive workhorse like eBay was last year just to just to do it all um I know a lot of people are probably gonna say Brian Edwards but you know Brian Edwards is gonna get that treatment where he gets the best corner on um and uh you know uh, he's got the probably didn't get that last year, especially, you know, with a, an NFL guy like Debo out there. So, you know, he probably, you know, would get the second corner or whatever. And that probably, you know, contributes to why he gets a lot of more love than Debo did. So, you know, um, with that being said, now him probably being covered by the number one corner, you know, um, I'd say definitely, probably South Smith. Very, I mean, that's very shifty, very hard to tackle an open field like Debo. Probably not as strong, not as built. Definitely just as athletic. <laughs> and also for that third wide receiver spot, hoping Ortray can come back real healthy. And, you know, definitely contributed a lot Just seeing him on the field. Big body, great man. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully this season goes goes to plan. Eight wins would be fantastic. Nine, if you think, I mean, if we win a bowl game, maybe. That's the only way I see a good nine wins is winning a bowl game, possibly. But, you know, um, I'd be perfectly Perfectly fine. Um, going seven and five and you know, eight and five with a bowl win. Uh,
1: hopefully that happens. Spurs up. All right, Zane. Great voicemail. Really do appreciate it. Obviously, you went into a lot of uh, a lot of points that I've definitely talked about. Obviously, starting with the Kentucky game. You've heard our comments. It's absolutely 110 percent a must-win game for South Carolina. It's a game that I think they'll win, but I've thought South Carolina would win every single game in the five-game losing streak. To be perfectly honest with you, so you know you definitely echo all of my thoughts there with the Kentucky game. Also. You know, talking about who's going to replace Debo Samuel. Obviously, I wrote a piece on this last week on the SpursUpShow.com, giving my my top candidates of who could replace Debo Samuel on this South Carolina offense. Who's going to be that go-to uh big play guy? And yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think Shy Smith, I think he most fits the mold because he's his playing style listen. It's similar to Debo. Obviously, he's not I wouldn't put him in that do-it-all category where he's going to return kicks and punts and stuff like that. But I mean he has the similar type of skill set and you do make a great point that Brian Edwards is really going to be the one seeing all the attention from the number one defensive back on the other team. So, you know, you would only think that's going to open up some major opportunities for shy Smith to make big plays in the South Carolina offense. And yeah, I mean, I just, I agree with you. Cause I think, you know, it was funny. Every time South Carolina got the ball in shy Smith's hands last year, I feel like something good happened. So I'm, I'm very much hoping they go to shy Smith early and often because I do think he can be that big play guy. I also do agree with you. I think, uh, the battle for the number three wide receiver position will be really interesting. I assume that if Ortre Smith, which everything that I know, he is fully healthy. Um, if he can come back and really be himself, I certainly think he can be that number three guy and a guy that I'm still high on. I know he had an up and down freshman year, but is Josh Van, a guy that really, you know, was a highly rated recruit out of the state of Georgia, a guy that, you know, really wowed you his film making circus catches. And I thought he had an okay freshman season, but as a guy I could see taking a major step forward in 2019. But yeah, Zane really do appreciate the voicemail obviously a lot of good points in there and I think a lot of South Carolina fans would agree with you on, you know, the type of record they would settle for this year. Um, I think a seven or eight win season this this, this season will be, uh, makes a lot of South Carolina fans happy. So I do agree with you there. And again, appreciate the voicemail, Zane. All right, let's get into our next voicemail. Hey guys, what's
3: going on? I um, wanted to get y'all's opinions on the Missouri game. Um, I'm pretty, you know, I'm, consciously optimistic as far as the season goes but that's a game that I've circled that you know obviously last year was a nail biter they got Kelly Bryant now a little more worried about than I think some you know other people I've been talking to uh, just want to see you guys you How you think it might shape up I uh, really appreciate you guys doing go Cox all
1: right appreciate the voicemail man yeah I think the uh the Missouri game is one that is very very interesting And if you've gotten to this point in the podcast obviously you've probably heard me already talk about it but You know, it's weird. It's a game that I feel like South Carolina should win, but it is a game that scares me a little bit this season for whatever reason. I think simply because, you know, the Gamecocks, you could kind of say, cheated death last year, you know, beating Missouri and South Carolina, obviously, with a three game winning streak over those guys. It almost feels like Missouri is somewhat due to beat South Carolina. I know that's kind of a weird attitude to have about it, but, you know, I'll be going into that game. Listen, South Carolina's probably going to be a road dog in that game. Let's be perfectly honest, because. Um, You know, the Gamecocks have only played three games. Um, We're going to be assuming they're going to be two and one with wins over UNC and Charleston Southern and then a loss to Alabama. I think how how South Carolina looks in that game against Alabama obviously is going to go a long way in telling us, you know, how we're going to feel about the Missouri game going into that one. But, uh, you know, it falls in an interesting place on the schedule. And the South Carolina-Missouri games obviously have been really, really close, real back and forth battles, I would say, besides the 2017 season when Kirana really ran away with that one but it's you know I'll, I'll be honest with you man it, it's certainly a game that it scares me a little bit I guess you could say again I feel like South Carolina should win that game I picked the Gamecocks to win that game but I think that'll be a very back and forth game and those South Carolina Missouri games for whatever reason man they are extremely competitive and extremely back and forth and I, you know I just uh you know it's one South Carolina's gonna need to show up again on the road and play well I know obviously the Kelly Bryant factor will be a huge storyline and a huge talking point going into that week but uh you know again i'm expecting south carolina to win that game but it it, it doesn't sorry i don't want to say it's a trap game because it's not a game where i think anybody's going to be overlooking missouri or you know taking them lightly or anything but it just feels like a game that could be the perfect storm type of game for south carolina but again i think it's a huge game i mean it is a big one in regards to you know i said kentucky is by far the most important game of the season missouri might be if not the biggest one of the biggest games of the season i just think in a season where South Carolina is going to be searching for wins to get eligible and then maybe more, hopefully in a seven and five, eight and four type of situation. Um, you're going to need to win that one on the road. That's one of those swing games that really needs to go South Carolina's way. And I think it could really propel them if they can win that one. Again, assuming they're two and one, get to three and one, build some momentum with the Kentucky game upcoming. Again, I think that's a huge game for South Carolina's the, the prospects of their 2019 season, to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, I appreciate the voicemail, man. Appreciate you calling in. i got one more voicemail to get to here. Let's get into it. What's going on, man?
4: This is John Wilgus from the uh, Instagram. Um, got two hot takes for you for uh, this show. And uh, my first hot take is I believe in my heart that with Tavian Feaster coming to South Carolina, we can compete with anybody in the country. Um, and it makes us an automatic dark horse in the east. Um, with Tavian are coming, I, I I'm a true believer that with that new balance at the running back position that we haven't had in the past two years, is just going to take this offense to a completely another level. Um, and it's one of those things that's going to make us more dynamic and uh, part of a South Carolina offense that you know we haven't seen since, like you said, Mike Mike Davis. I mean, this is going to be a game changer for us. Um, and finally, going to give Jake Bentley the help he needs to give that offense a little bit more of a balance to be able to compete with anybody. And uh, my second hot take is uh, my prediction for the season is I think Carolina will be ten and two at the end of the season. We're going with losses to Alabama and Georgia. Um, I don't know. I just feel like on Jake's senior year, uh, he's after he's after blood when it comes to Clemson. He's he, he, he all his improvements and everything that he's done in this off season to get better. Um, I just, I just feel like we're going to see a different Jake Bentley and with the new with Fabian Feaster and the new dynamic offense and all the balance that's going to come with it. Um, and that, that stadiums gonna be rocking and rolling. And I'm telling you, it's, it's just going to mean, like that's what he says, it's just going to mean more. Um, and I, I, I true believe Carolina's going to shot Clemson this year in front of 80,000 screaming Gamecocks. As always, man, love the show. Um, hope everybody had a great fourth. Go, Cogs.
1: John, I appreciate the voicemail. I tell you what, man, you got me ready to run through a brick wall. <laughs> that, that's an awesome voicemail. I, I'm loving the energy you are on, John. Um, let's start back to the Tavian Feaster stuff you're talking about. Because I, I do agree with you. I, I've said it all along that I think Tavian Feaster is going to be a Gamecock. Um, and, and obviously, the thing that I've been saying since the end of the Belt Bowl, that carolina's number one priority this offseason was finding RB1, finding that number one running back. Obviously, they went and hired Thomas Brown as running back's coach, which I think will will help out, help out that position, if you will. But, yeah, getting Feaster, obviously, a major priority. And, I mean, you know, it, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see, one, how quickly he can – Fit into South Carolina what they're doing schematically. But let me put it this way: Tavian Feaster, wherever he goes, and again, I do think it'll be South Carolina, he's not coming to South Carolina to be a number two back or be one of a couple backs that the Gamecocks use. He's coming to be the guy. The only reason he left Clemson was because he didn't want to, you know, sit behind Travis Etienne, who's obviously one of the best running backs in the country. And, you know, he, he would have sat behind it. He would have basically taken the junk carries, probably gotten eight to 10 carries a game while Tavian Feaster kind of did his thing. And I mean, rightfully so, Tavian, or, uh, Travis Etienne, again, one of the best in the country. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much of an impact Tavian Feaster can make in this offense. Because I do agree with you that the the biggest thing this Gamecocks offense has been missing is the running game. And, and, you know, everyone's been very, very critical of Jake Bentley. And I'm not saying rightly so at times, for sure. I mean, I'm obviously one that, you know, was extremely critical of Jake Bentley last year. But – you, you do at some point have to admit that, man, he puts a lot on his shoulders because South Carolina's running game is basically non-existent most of the time, ex- especially against the elite level competition. So, you know, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see how, again, how Tavian Feaster fits into what they're doing offensively, how he fits into that. Can he really truly be the number one guy that South Carolina, you know, desperately needs? Um, and then, yeah, your take on the season, I mean – you know, oh man, ten and two. It's hard. It's just sitting here thinking about the Gamecocks, thinking about Carolina beating Clemson, being ten and two after after a win over Clemson at Williams Bryce. Imagine, imagine the difference in conversation we're having about Will Muschamp, the state of the program. Like even the people right now that are on the fence about Will Muschamp, if the Gamecocks went ten and two with this schedule and beat Clemson, there's no way anyone could say one bad word about what Will Muschamp is doing. I love your energy again, John. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think South Carolina is going to be 10-2. and two. Um, but, you know, but I love your energy, man. I love the optimism. Listen, I'm an optimistic Gamecock fan myself. I think as a Gamecock fan, you have to be a little bit optimistic. You have to have that personality, if you will, because, I mean, what other reason would you get hyped up for the season every time? Because we're all optimistic. We think this year is going to be the year. But uh, I love your energy. Again, I don't think the Gamecocks are going to be 10-2. and two. Obviously, I would love to see it. And you have to think if they are 10 and two with losses to Bama and Georgia, I mean, unless Georgia goes seven and one in the East or seven and one in the SEC, you know, South Carolina's competing for a trip to, uh, you know, to go to the Georgia dome or go to, uh, go to the SEC championship game. So would obviously be probably the biggest story in college football, but, uh, now, I love the energy, John, and appreciate you calling in and leaving the voicemail again. You got me ready. You got me jacked up. You got me jacked up for the season, no doubt. Um, all right, so let's get to the list to the uh, listener questions via Instagram. A um, couple questions here. AJ Bowers underscore 11. I say we go 10 and 2 or 11 and one <laughs> loving the energy, guys. I'm, I don't know if you're serious or joking, but I love the energy either way. Um, Jacob underscore wise 3. 15 and 0, baby, but actually 7 and 5. Yeah, I, th- I think that's how most people's energy probably is. Um you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, gun to head right now, and obviously you guys are going to hear part two on Thursday of my predictions, you know, me and Brad's predictions for the 2019 season. But I, I think right now the safe play on the South Carolina season schedule is gun to head six and six, seven and five. I think that's pretty much where everyone falls right now um, on predictions for the Gamecocks. Um, the Joel Sario says eight and four, which I know South Carolina fans would be very, very happy about. Um, by Brantley Strickland seven and six upset of Florida most importantly a win over effing Kentucky effing Kentucky indeed um, yeah I you know I do think uh, you'll hear my prediction for the Florida game on Thursday but uh, I, I think that that's certainly an opportunity I mean, you get the Gators at home you had them down 17 at their place a year ago and I I know Florida is catching a lot of hype this season but I definitely think that's going to serve as a great opportunity to you know Gamecocks have been so bad in these these games against ranked opponents, you know, Will Must Champ in South Carolina, they just they've been bad in those games. It's just it's just a simple fact right now. So I think that's gonna provide a great opportunity to put a dent in that record and put one in the win column for South Carolina beating Florida at home. Um Jimmy dot james dot seven six. Last question here. Cox by ninety every single Saturday. No doubt, baby. Cox by ninety every single weekend. You know it. So uh Appreciate the questions, guys. Again, appreciate the voicemails and, uh, you know, very, very excited to bring part two. I'm definitely going to do this again. Hope some more people call in, leave questions, obviously. And, uh, yeah, very, very exciting stuff. So, got a great interview for you guys. A fantastic conversation with former Gamecocks defensive back, Co Simpson. Uh, I'm very, very excited about this. Coe, an awesome dude. Obviously, he had a very great career at South Carolina. Led the SEC in interceptions in 2004 with six. Um, was an All-SEC player his freshman year, All-American his sophomore year. Great career at Carolina. Again, went on to play in the NFL for a couple of years with the Bills and the Detroit Lions. Um, Very, very excited for you guys to hear, and it's all brought to you again by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one that I would recommend. Go download SeatGeek, go to SeatGeek.com, use the promo code SPURSUP, and you're going to get $10 off your first purchase. Again, they've got tickets to literally anything and everything, whether it's South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, any pro events you want to go to, concerts, comedy club events, festivals, You name it. Literally, if there's something you need tickets to, SeatGeek is going to have it. They've got a great ticket rating system for you, again, where they rate the tickets for you so you know exactly the type of deal you're getting before you click the buy button. You know if you're overpaying, you know if you're getting a steal, so it really works out in your favor. It's the consumer's best friend, and I think it's the easiest ticket-buying app to use that's on the market right now. So, again, go download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks defensive back co Simpson All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for the Gamecocks from 2004 to 2005. He amassed 164 total tackles, seven interceptions in his time at South Carolina. He led the SEC in interceptions in 2004 with six, and in 2004 was the first ever Gamecock to be named SEC Freshman of the Year by the AP. In 2005, he was also named Consensus All-SEC and Football Writers Association All-American, also played in the NFL from 2006 to 2008 with the Buffalo Bills, and spent 2009 with the Detroit Lions, one of the best players to hail from Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm very excited to welcome the show, former Gamecocks defensive back, Co Simpson. Co, appreciate you taking the time, man, and like I said, it's a pleasure to have you on.
5: Hey, glad to be a part.
1: For sure. So let's kind of go back to the beginning for you. Obviously, I mentioned earlier, you're a kid from Rock Hill, South Carolina, which has produced, you know, just a ton of talent for South Carolina. I think beginning with yourself, you could probably even go back before you. But obviously, the Gamecocks have benefited from a lot of talent from Rock Hill, South Carolina. But just kind of talk about your recruitment. Obviously, I know you were recruited by Lou Holtz and his staff and um, you weren't the highest rated recruit, which I want to get to in just a second. But just talk about the recruitment process for you and why you chose to go to South Carolina.
5: So, uh, I think coming out of high school, I started playing – uh started varsity football ever since a uh, 10th grader. And uh, it was just hard to get a look. And you know, we played in one of the toughest conferences, and uh region 2 4 a. So, uh, that conference, I feel, in high school, it got me kind of prepared for going in the uh, SEC. But, you know, my senior year, we made it to the state championship, and we played down there in William Wright Stadium. And you know, I think that's when the gang costs really took a uh, deeper look at me, and uh I guess after that they pulled a the trigger on me, but it was late, you know, I probably was the, <laughs> the last recruit, but uh it ended up working out,
1: yeah, and that's something fascinating I want to ask you about Co because you go back and look at your um your profile online, your recruiting profile. You were a two star recruit I mean, like you said, not a lot of attention. you were a guy that was brought into the class late. And obviously, you are a guy that panned out to be, I mean, one of the best defensive backs I would say to ever play at South Carolina. And you obviously had a very nice NFL career as well. I mean, did you feel like in high school you were sort of an overlooked guy or maybe a slept-on guy? And if so, I mean, what do you think the reason for that was?
5: Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think in high school, man, I feel like I started ever since a sophomore. And a lot of that stuff I did at USC, I did, I did it at the high school level also, but... I don't know. You know, a lot of people thought I was too little. you know, too skinny. or we, I wasn't going to qualify academically. So I think a lot of people put a plug on me. But, you know, I just knew what I was capable of. And uh, I just, you know, game cards ended up giving me the opportunity. So uh, I, I just took the – I made the most out of it.
1: No doubt. What were your first interactions like with uh, former Gamecocks head coach, Lou Holtz? I know obviously the rest of the staff was, you know, big in recruiting you, but uh, what were those first relationships like like with Lou Holtz?
5: Well, I, when I first got down there, like we went to spring ball, I was like fourth on the depth chart. You know, by the time we ended spring ball, uh, I was first. So I went into the season uh, running with the first team, you know throughout the summer coming into the fall camp I already knew I was running with the first team but just that couple of weeks of spring ball uh just showing them what I you know what I brought to the table we had a lot of different new coaches like Ron Cooper our defensive back coach and uh he just seen the plays I was making and uh they couldn't you know they couldn't keep me off the field so I appreciate them coaches uh giving me the opportunity to you know show what I was able to do
1: For sure. So, Co, let's jump into your freshman season. Like I said, uh, 61 total tackles, six interceptions. Um, Again, coming out of high school as a two-star recruit, I don't think anything, not something anyone would have expected or seen coming, but I want to go to one game specifically, Co, and that is the Georgia game. At home, obviously, South Carolina, Georgia is always a big one. I believe it was a blackout for you guys. You wore the all-black. Everyone's seen the highlight, Co. You step in front of a David Green pass, return it 57 yards for a touchdown, and you know, I really feel like that was the moment that you really burst on the scene. And I think South Carolina fans and maybe the rest of the nation really took notice of your ability. Would you agree with that?
5: Uh, Yes, that was, uh, you know, that was a, a big game for us. And uh, I think it was running very high. And uh, David Green, you know, he was a great quarterback. Uh, come through the SEC and uh, had the opportunity to make that play at that moment. Yeah, I, I believe that kind of put me on the map down there in South Carolina. And then After that, I just, you know, I had the momentum and uh, it just kept it kept piling up. But I, I I definitely feel like that that game and that pick definitely put me on the map. and you know, people start taking notice of me.
1: What do you think, what made you such a ball hawk, Because, I mean, there are different types of safeties or defensive backs who have different playing styles. You know, some guys are hard hitters. Some guys are cover guys you know some guys can be run stoppers or some guys that are ball hawks and I mean you were certainly a ball hawk and then showed the ability obviously to, to get a ton of tackles in the season like you did in 2005 which we'll get to in just a second but I mean what made you so good as far as getting the ball off of people because I mean six interceptions again leading the SEC in 2004 as a true freshman I might add I mean it's just a crazy feat what, what would you attribute to just being so good at getting the ball off people
5: uh, I don't know. I think just growing up, I played probably about every skill position. I, I was a running back, quarterback, receiver, and uh, as I got older in high school, I felt like defensive back was, you know, a great opportunity for me to go on and, uh, you know, play in the NFL. But uh, I just always just was around the football. Like you know, <laughs> you got it's all about the ball. So wherever the ball is, you're just trying to get there. Good things happen around that football. So I just always try to, you know, get to the ball. That's that's what it's all about. It's the the football, especially a defensive back. That's how you're gonna get uh recognized, you know, uh you get the opportunity to play at the uh next level. And uh it's all about, you know, getting to that football. So that's what I I was always about, just trying to find that ball.
1: For sure. So, Co, I want to stick with the Georgia game because I want to go a little bit more in detail on the play specifically. Obviously, on that one, that the, the result, I might add, didn't turn out the way you guys wanted. But on that play, I believe David Green had like a quick three-step drop throws. I, maybe it was a curl route or something, but you step in front of it. And you could definitely see that you played other positions on that play because I don't think anybody was catching you down the sideline. I mean, talk about, talk about that play a little bit more in depth, just kind of what you saw. And once you got the ball in your hands, was there any chance anybody was catching you there?
5: Uh, I think I think you no know, on that play. I think uh, the quarterback he just took a three-step drop. You uh, know, he just you know he just looked over there where he was throwing, and I think it was like a nine-ball, go ball, you know. And and I, and I just took my opportunity. I seen him look there, and I see his own his his other hand come off the football, and uh, I just went there. So I I just you know I just made a play, you know, and uh, and I made a good play. So once I got the ball, I was just trying to get him in the end zone. You know, coach I always teach you, you know, get a pick, you know, go down the nearest sideline. And I just took it out of that sideline, just try to get in the end zone. And every time I make a big play, the players, our teammates, they always jump on me. So when I make that play, I just try to keep running to the sideline. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so awesome. So I mean you followed it up that you know, that season. Um, you know, you had an interception against South Florida, one at Alabama against Tennessee, Arkansas, Florida. I want to start with the Bama game co and You know, specifically, definitely your pick, but just talk about, I mean, it's funny to see college football now, right, and the way that Clemson and Alabama and Georgia and others are kind of dominating the landscape. You guys went into Tuscaloosa, not only beat Alabama, but beat beat them handily. I mean, when you look at how college football is now, and you think of your days at South Carolina going into Tuscaloosa and just tearing their ass up, I mean, how special was it, I guess, to go in there to a program like that and really assert your dominance, if you will?
5: Well, you know, we knew the history and the tradition they had, but you know, at that time, I don't think they were uh, that, you know, I guess that bigger name like Alabama or as they now. But we know we was going there, and uh, it, it was just a SEC game, you know, another uh, an opponent. And we just trying to, we just trying to win, and we just trying to compete. And uh, we went down there, and uh, we competed. You know, we we came to play, and uh, it turned out good for us. For
1: sure. So, Co, the next game I want to jump to, 2004, Arkansas, obviously was a big one. For South Carolina, not just for you personally, because it was a huge game for you personally, but for South Carolina as well, obviously South Carolina able to get the win, a comeback victory. Um, I know Savelle Newton led the game-winning drive. You guys get to six wins, get to bowl eligibility after missing out on that, I believe, in 2002 and 2003. Um, but you had a huge game that day, obviously a fumble return. Uh, we just had on social media a couple of days ago, a fumble return for 57 yards for a touchdown and then the pick at the end of the game to, uh, to seal the game. I want to ask you about the fumble first. I think that's a, that's a fascinating play in which, uh, the ball is poked out. Obviously it's a scrum. Nobody knows where it is. And then you just come out of nowhere, seem to find it, pick it up and go for the score. I mean, just talk about that play, how you were able to find the ball and, uh, yeah, when everybody else was looking for, I mean, you were just able to come up with it and take it in for a touchdown.
5: Well, it was a that was a crazy play. We had our defensive lineman uh, made a great play on the ball, and he got the ball out there. A lot of the time when it's just a pile, everybody's jumping in there for the ball. A lot of them don't come up with the ball, so I just just sit around the pile, just waiting on you know waiting on it to bounce out. And, uh, I was already on the right side, so I just stayed on that side. So I knew if it bounced out on that side. I was gonna get it, and you know? it bounced out. And, uh, I scooped and scored, and uh, <laughs> they were still looking for. What I was already gone. But uh, <laughs> that was a crazy play. But I tell, like I, I look back on it, and I was like, that was a big play at that at that moment. But I think that that was one of my easiest plays I had to make down there, <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure. And then talk about code, just the uh, the interception to seal it. Obviously, again, I I remember specifically, you know, being I was. Uh, You know, I I guess kind of young at the time, but watching that game and thinking how big that was for South Carolina just to after the last two years had been so frustrating and people were wondering about Lou Holtz's future and things of that nature to get to six wins to get bowl eligible you're able to seal it um, in the process just talk about you know that moment being able to seal that game and seal going uh, South Carolina becoming bowl eligible.
5: Uh Yeah, we just went to Arkansas. Who was the quarterback, Jones?
1: Matt Jones, I, yeah. I knew, Matt Jones. Yeah, I
5: know Matt Jones. He he liked to throw it up there. And uh, it was coming down to the end, so I knew we had the opportunity to get our hands on the ball. And uh, it came in my direction. I just made a play on it and uh, came down to seal the game. But uh, that was – I remember going in there, that was big five seniors. Because, uh, like you said, we got Bo elswell Because last year we didn't get to participate but uh, that year was big uh, all the seniors like they they had a moment there it was like when we make them plays and uh that game it was for them, for them seniors and uh I think to this day they they appreciate it
1: for sure so Co, I want to talk about because obviously you know I'm going to ask you about the uh the 2004 Clemson game but uh I want to ask you first about you know growing up a kid in Rock Hill obviously in the state you know I've interviewed a lot of guys that are from out of state and they don't really understand the rivalry until they get to South Carolina and they kind of get into it. I'm sure you're a guy, though, growing up. You you understood it very much so because I feel like you grew up in the state of South Carolina. You're either orange and purple or you're garnet and black. There really is no in-between. But just just talk about, uh, you know, as far as coming into the rivalry, I guess how excited you were to play in that rivalry and what it meant to you then and I guess what it means to you now as well.
5: Uh, I think back when we was playing, you know, it was big. You know, there's a lot of guys. On each team for the state of South Carolina, so you probably knew some of those, some of those guys uh, coming up through high school. So, you know, it was just, it was big. You know, you want to show that you was kind of, you was the top team in the state of South Carolina, not only top team, you want to show you was one of the top players also. So, that's how I feel as a player coming up. Playing in those games, but now look back on it. You know they still going at there. it. Some some great games. You know we we beat Clemson a lot of times in a row. Now Clemson, you know they's on top. You know, but the ball gonna bounce back around. We're gonna be busting back up on them again. So, but it's two great teams in the state, man. In South Carolina, we got some great football, great colleges. So you know, you know everything's look positive for you know for the state in general
1: co 04 the clemson game the brawl just simply put i know the obviously the mm-hmm. day didn't go the way you guys wanted the score didn't end up the way you wanted it and you know i don't think anyone saw, saw the brawl coming what happened I, I know you weren't a guy that was you know like was was in the middle of the scrum or anything but talk about just just talk about that that scenario because it's not something i was in there in person to see but obviously watching on tv and it was what was it a day after the uh the, uh, the Ron Artest thing where he went to the crowd and they had the fight there. And it just kind of spilled over, I guess, but with you guys. But just – I mean, just talk about your recollection of the brawl in Clemson.
5: Yeah, I think it had to do a lot with that uh, basketball and that brawl. And uh, we seen that. And I don't know. It just went on over to the game. You know, it's like it's a rival game. You know, both of us want to whoop up, whoop up on each other. And uh, I guess it, it just got, got hot. And uh, it was a big brawl out there, you know. It was good nobody really got hurt, but <laughs> we sorry it happened. But you know, it was it was crazy. I remember Lou Holtz, so we, we weren't gonna win the game. We was gonna win something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, you know, obviously, Co. It kept you guys out of a bowl game, and Lou Holtz eventually announces his retirement. Um, was that something? Because I know there was a lot of speculation, kind of later in the '04 season and going into that game. Was his retirement something you guys maybe knew about or had a suspicion it was happening? I mean, what? How did you guys handle that? And was it a, was it a distraction for you at all?
5: Uh, I don't think it was a distraction. You know, we probably heard about his rumors about that this might was going be his last season. You know, it was probably closer to the end of the season after the bowl game because we was at the beginning. He he announced to us he was retiring. And that's thing you know, he introduced to Skip Holtz to us. And we met him. I mean, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it was crazy. But, no, it, it didn't have nothing to do with, you know, the guys as a team. You know, we there trying to come together as brothers, just trying to do what we can, to, you know, to win football games. So, we couldn't let the, the coach distract us and, you know, about leaving or uh, retiring or anything like that. So, but, yeah.
1: For sure. So, Co, you're obviously one of a few guys. I've had a couple of other guys on this show that went through it as well, but I think it's fascinating. You went through the transition from two Hall of Famers, Lou Holtz to Steve Spurrier, and we all know what Steve Spurrier did in his time at South Carolina, obviously after you were there. But um, I know it's a mixed bag of emotions for some people, but talk about – I'll just give you the floor. Talk about your – what the transition from Holtz to Spurrier – was like for you, I guess, the pros, the cons, the positive, the negatives? What do you remember about that transition from Lou Holtz to Steve Spurrier?
5: Well, uh, you know, Lou, he was more teaching us, you know, how to be better men. So, you know, for when we leave the University of South Carolina, we can going to be our great fathers and uh, great, you know, people in the community, you know. And uh, Spurrier, you know, he was there. He came from the NFL, you know. So, he was more business. So, you know, he was all about winning football games. But, you know, both of them had that different style. And uh, I think both of them was great for the University of South Carolina. But the good thing about it, like, when I was there, Lou Holtz, he was more on the offensive side. So, he stayed on the offensive side a lot of times at practice and stuff. And, uh, you know, Steve Spurrier, he's offensive guy. So, he stayed on the offensive side as much. So, the defensive guys, we didn't really have to deal with the head coaches too much. <laughs>
1: For sure. So let's talk about, let's fast forward, Code the, uh, you know, obviously there was a ton of excitement with Steve Spurrier, understandably so. And it really culminated and came to a head to the opening game, which I was able to attend. Um, 2005 against Central Florida, you guys get the win. Um, it's a big night. You had nine total tackles in that game. But I feel like the energy surrounding the stadium and surrounding that week, obviously, I think game day was there as well in the fairgrounds. Just, just talk about the excitement as far as uh, leading up to that game and playing that Central Florida game.
5: Well, you know, w- once we got uh coach Spurrier, you know, we we got a lot of headlines. A lot of people, you know, wanted to see what we was about. So we had a lot of tension on us going into that game. So it was just a a time for us to just let our light shine and show what you know South Carolina football is all about. So it was just an opportunity and. uh it was it was uh, it was crazy. I, I remember the fans was there supporting us, and uh, it was a great game. We came out with the uh, the win.
1: Co, you only had one interception in 2005. I mean, did did anything change for you at all? I I don't think it did, just because I feel like again a lot of the interceptions, a lot of the turnovers are being at the right place at the right time. And you obviously you had a very good 2005. I mean, you take a look at your stats. You had 103 total tackles. Um, you know, a, a fantastic career and a fantastic you know sophomore season, if you will, redshirt sophomore season at South Carolina. But did anything? Would you say? Do you point anything and say this is why I didn't get more interceptions in two thousand five? Was it? Was did anything change for you?
5: Well, you know, I go back and look at it. I think in two thousand four, I might have six interceptions, and uh, in the next season, my sophomore season, I only had one. But like I tell people, if I can go back, like, the one I dropped so many. Like, I should have had 10. My sophomore season, I should have had 10 interceptions. But, you know, I dropped them. But a lot of times, a lot of times, I shade them. There goes Johnny Joseph. He probably got two or three interceptions off of me that year. But like I was telling a lot of the scouts when I was coming out, I was like, a lot of them picks, a lot of them plays y'all see me make, it's like I just had a knack for the ball. I don't feel like a lot of people would have even been in them positions to even make get their hands on the ball, and they and I don't know, but I don't know why I dropped them. <laughs> I dropped them. I have should have had ten picks in my sophomore season, but yeah, I don't think nothing changed. It just they weren't sticking to my fingers. I guess I was missing my sticky glue or something
1: (laughs) did did you feel like people weren't throwing at you as much because maybe you're too like i feel like 2004 you were so much of an unknown versus you know 2005 you were sec freshman of the year in 04 and everybody knew who you were i mean you were preseason all sec do you think that had anything to do with it as
5: well well i don't don't know a lot of times i had to you know try to go make something happen because i still remember my our freshman, my freshman year, we went playing Clemson. Clemson would not throw to my side. Every play, they went away from me. I tried to switch sides with Jameis Jackson. i like, let's switch. And they'll go back to the other side. <laughs> I don't I don't know, you know. But, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, they just went sticking to my hands that year. But if I would have had them picks, I would have had 10 picks my sophomore season. Probably had – I would have had 10 my freshman season. In that two seasons, I should have had about 15, 16 picks. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no doubt. So the 05 season, obviously, Co. I mean, was a very interesting one for you guys. You know, lose you lose early games of Georgia and Alabama and Auburn. Um, I know the thing that, you know, everyone had maybe fairly or unfairly had high expectations when Steve Spurrier got the job, you know, the new bolts of energy, things of that nature. But uh, things started to turn once you guys got to uh, middle of October, per se. You beat Vanderbilt and Kentucky, um, at home. And then you go on the road to Tennessee, a place that I don't think South Carolina had ever won in Knoxville before when you guys go there. Um, you didn't have an interception, but you had eight total tackles and two pass deflections. And I believe, Co, you can correct me if I'm wrong, one of those pass deflections was on fourth down to end the game and seal the victory. Um, just talk about that night in Knoxville and what it meant to be the first South Carolina team to ever beat Tennessee on the road in Knoxville.
5: Yeah, going to that game, you know, that was a big game also. So we got the opportunity, you know, go down into Tennessee. You know, that's a great atmosphere, but great place to play. And we was able to uh, to win that game. It came down to the end, and uh, I think the defense, we just made some, made some plays down the stretch. You uh, know, came up with the win. But yeah, that was a big game, and you know? that was a big game for the University of South Carolina.
1: For sure. So you guys followed up, Coe, again, with a win on the road at Arkansas. You had 13 total tackles in that one. Again, a very, uh, very close game. I'll ask you this, Coe, because I'm I'm just kind of curious now, just looking at your stats, obviously, again, you know, you had so many tackles in 2005. You had 103 total tackles in 2005. I mean, did anything change for you as far as schematically? Uh, Was there any reason you were in on so many tackles? Because, I I mean, I'm not sure if you'd agree, but I feel like 103 tackles for a safety – is a ton of tackles. I mean, you're involved in a ton of plays at that point. Um, did anything change for you, the reason the tackles jumped so much?
5: Uh, I, You know, we had different coaches. So, we had a decent – new defensive coordinators. So, our defenses uh, changed. So, I think that next season I did a lot of – a lot of the plays was – the defense plays had me coming down, you know, in the box. So, so I think that probably had a problem getting a lot of tackles. But like, like I tell you, I was just trying to, I was trying to get to the football. I was just out there. I tried to make every play.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you definitely shows you were a guy that was around the ball at all times, no doubt. Um, I, I want to move again, Co. Another game that really, I mean, just put a bull a boost of energy in this program it was the. Uh, November 12, 2005, you guys take on the Florida Gators. You're able to get the win over them. Steve Sperger beats Urban Meyer in Columbia. I I I'd have to look it up. I don't have it here in front of me, but the first win over Florida, I believe, in quite, quite some time. I mean, just just talk about that day, obviously, because I know it's, uh, that day was very back and forth. I remember Tyrone, I, I believe it was uh, Nathan Pepper had the bad interception. He returned down the five-yard line, and then that game was very, very back and forth and obviously came to a head when Florida was called for – too many men on the field for a punt. And that, you know, when everybody realized South Carolina sealed it, you know, Williams-Brice Stadium went crazy. I remember it was a crazy atmosphere that day. But just just talk about your memories from that day, South Carolina beating Florida for the first time and who knows how long.
5: Man, you kind of remind me about that one. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I remember, uh, you know, that was a big game. And, uh, you know, Spurrier was going against his uh, his old team. So, we was just trying to. You know, we was trying to get the win, not only, you know, for us, but also for him. So, we just went out there and uh, competed, you know. I think it was real hot that game, too. But, yeah, it was a great game, and uh, the fans came out and showed great support.
1: What, was there anything different, Co, about Steve Spurrier that week? Because I, if I remember correctly after the game, he said that he didn't look across the sideline all that much because, again, for him playing his alma mater, his former team – I'm sure it had to be weird, but with you, like in the locker room, you know, it, it, within the facility, was there anything different about Spurrier's approach that week?
5: Oh uh, no, not that I can think of. You know, Spurrier, he just he keeps the same approach. You know, <laughs> he keeps smiling. Uh, he just go by his business, and uh, he do a great job of it.
1: For sure. So, Co, obviously, you're a guy. You guys dropped the last two games of the season to Clemson and then Missouri in the bowl game. Um, you're a guy obviously that that in a very unique situation I feel like you had a decision to make because you actually signed with South Carolina in 2003 and I believe I believe you either took the red shirt or gray shirt you can correct me on one of those but uh, you were a red shirt sophomore uh, after 2005 so you were eligible for the NFL draft chose to go to the NFL draft which I'd say paid out and was a good decision but just just talk about you know, how close were you, I guess, to coming back and just kind of talk about going through that decision-making process of deciding whether you wanted to return to school for another year or try your hand at the NFL? Uh,
5: Yeah, uh, I, I was a gray shirt uh, sophomore. So I was eligible, eligible to, uh, you know, enter in the NFL draft. But it was a back-and-forth decision. You know, it came down kind of to the, to the end, I was going to come back at first. Spurrier called me, <laughs> you know, left me a message and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I decided to just go ahead. You know, I feel like in those two years, like, I, I don't know if it was too much more I had to, you know, prove there. I could have kept, you know, I could have kept playing there with the with the guys but I was in on a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff I told you I was out there trying to make every play possible and and, you know I could have got I could have got hurt there you know couldn't made it to the pro but uh it was a tough decision but you know you know I end up you know end up leaving
1: (laughs) for sure yeah I mean like you said you did almost everything you could in college SEC freshman year two-time all SEC player two-time all-american I mean you definitely had the Um, I mean, it was a smart move, I I think you could say. But let's just talk about the NFL draft, code. 2006, you're taken in the fourth round, 105th pick overall by the Buffalo Bills. Talk about just, you know, that's something you work for, obviously, your entire life, your entire career. And, you know, you finally get your name called in the NFL draft. Just talk about that moment and what that meant to you.
5: Uh, You know, it was a moment, you know, it went longer than I expected. But, you know, once I got my name – Call, you know, it was great to, you know, get the opportunity to uh, play in the NFL that what you always dreamed of. You know, I ended up going in the fourth round, but like I tell people, my, my rookie season in the NFL, I started every game except for the first game. So I went in there as a rookie and I started 14 games. You know, I was the co uh, defensive, uh, the co, uh, I think, the rookie of the year on our team and stuff, but, you know, I, it just, I ended up getting hurt you know it's my second season and ever since then it just <laughs> it went backwards
1: no doubt so I, I want to talk about that rookie season co because like you said the numbers really jump out at you I mean you like you said started 15 games played in all 16 you had two interceptions for 76 yards um, you had a forced fumble you had a sack I mean really just you had a uh, 76 total tackles I mean r- really just continued like you were saying in college you're around the ball constantly you're a ball hawk type player and you really continued that in the NFL but you know just talk about the transition from college to the NFL what was that like for you and how were you able to make it such a seamless transition
5: well you know you just coming from South Carolina you had a lot of guys that you know have played there before you like that played in the pro like uh, Shelton Brown and uh, Dante Robinson and there's a couple of those guys that they haven't been there, so they'll tell you about it, you know, what to expect. But, you know, once you get – I mean, college is, you know, it's fun. You know, it's fun. But once you go pro, it's more business. So, you know, the fun goes out a little bit and it's more business. But, you know, you still got to keep as fun as possible. For
1: sure. Was there a moment for you, Co, in that 2006 season kind of like a – you know, a moment where because I feel like you come in and you're like, maybe you know, you you have to prove that you belong. I guess you will, or I guess I guess you could say. Was there a moment to you? I know you had your first interception at Detroit, actually, in uh, to October fifteenth, two thousand six. But what was the moment for you that clicked? Like, hey, I, I can be an elite level player on this level.
5: Well, you know, I feel like when I first got to the NFL, I kind of got thrown in the fire. Cause I had to go in there and start, you know, the, the second week of the season. So a lot of the pro the game, I was kind of learning on the, you know, on the fly, on the run, you know, so I didn't have time to sit back and, you know, watch somebody in front of me for a couple of games or a season to learn from. So I had to jump in there and uh, I had to learn on the fly. So it took me probably about to the middle of the season, or uh, you know, about to the end of it to really, you know, understand, you know, what, you know, this game and stuff.
1: For sure. So I know obviously, Co, your your pro career, um, there were definitely some bumps in the road. I know September the 11th, 2007, you were placed on injury reserve and you battled injuries throughout your career. I mean, just talk about, you know, I know as an athlete, anytime you're injured, it's just – it's a devastating blow for you. I mean, how – how were you able to deal with it, and how much of a toll do you think it took on you mentally?
5: Uh, you know, It's crazy. I ain't really started getting hurt until I got to pro. You know, I ain't get had no major injuries until I got to the professional level. So, you know, it was tough to deal with when you know you ain't never really been hurt before, you know, dealing with these injuries. And uh, it got more on the business side, you know. <laughs> it's all about you holding up a roster spot. You know, you causing this team. It's all about money. So and you ain't eligible to. I mean, you know, you can't perform at the top level. You know what you gonna do? <laughs> you you know you, you can't play. So that's what it ended up you know being for me.
1: 2008, Co. I think you were able to really bounce back though from the uh, you know from the injury, if you will. You again, you played in 16 games in 2008. You started 11 of them. Um, had 66 total tackles um one tackle for loss just just talk about you know being able to come back from the injury in 2008 how did your 2008 season go
5: uh you know just just able to balance back by, you know just getting out there just showing that you know that you belong and you can play so that was basically what that was and just trying to help my team so i feel like that season you know it went well you know it, you know it went good and uh it was just an opportunity just to get back out there and uh, just <laughs> to try to see you know you still can go
1: for sure so co you're traded um September 4th 2009 you're traded to the Detroit Lions from Buffalo just just talk about being traded in the NFL because i know it's something where you know you live there you have your family your kids if you have any um, what was it like being traded? Were you surprised at all that 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 happened? I mean, what what was kind of the, how did that situation go down for you?
5: Uh, you know, you know, in a way, it's kind of surprised in the way you went. So, you, you know, in the pro game, you 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 never you can be here one minute, you can go be somewhere else in the next. But it was crazy about it because we was leading up for that week. We was about to go against uh, the New England Patriots the first week of the season. And the coach had already told me, like, I was going in. Just, I was going to start safety and all this gets the Patriots. <laughs> After the preseason game, I hear I was getting traded to uh, Detroit. So I just had to, you know, I had to catch a flight and, and go. So as you getting traded and you come in to the Lions, and they, they want you to go. They're ready for you to start. They got a playbook of about 200 pages. <laughs> you know, you got to learn. So, it's kind of, again, you're try, trying to bounce back, learn on the fly as you out there. So, you know, it was uh, it was tough. But, you know, you just had to deal with it and uh, try to make the most out of it.
1: So, Co, you know, you kind of picked up where you left off, I feel like, after you had rehabbed from the injury, you were traded, you played in eight games, started five for the Detroit Lions. Um, you had an interception, had a fumble recovery. You know, you were all over the field again and then suffered another injury. November 25th, you were placed on injury reserve with a torn patella with a separated MCL, which I know was a very, very serious injury. Um, and then you were later released by the, by the Lions on September 4th, 2010. I mean, did you feel like after, what were your, I guess, what was going through your mind when you suffered that, that next injury, the torn patella with the separated MCL? I mean, did you feel like your football career maybe at its end when that happened?
5: Well, really I had like a – it's called a microfracture surgery. So it's kind of worse than the MCL and HCL. It's kind of the same thing that David Clowney had done to his knee. Right. But, you know, mine, it just, it, it just didn't get right. You know, it's like when you lose cartilage. and uh, they poke uh, holes in your bone to, uh, for the bleed to uh, create some more cartilage. You know, and and mine just did come all the way back, so I got all right, a little bit of bone on bone, you know. So to this day, it's still bothering me sometimes. But you know, I, I maybe could have rehab, rehab, and try to get back out there. But if you're playing at pro level, you got to be. You can't have. You can't have stuff. You got to be at the top of your game. You got to have your body very prepared to uh, participate, or you're not going. You're going to be back at home.
1: Did <laughs> Did you try to rehab after that, Co? or try to play in any different kind of league or get back to the NFL, or were you just – you kind of accepted, like, this is the end of the career for me?
5: Well, I I worked out for a couple of teams. You know, some teams, they were scared of me because of my knee situation. And, uh, yeah, so there was one point they told me – I had some contracts to go to Canada, but I didn't go to – you know, I didn't take any of those, so it was kind of with the NFL. They just, I guess, with my injury, they kind of they were scared in a way. You know, then I go try for these teams, and <laughs> they still don't sign you. So it was the situation. Then with the then I just had uh like an insurance policy that that I took out when I was playing, and it just you know it paid me some millions, and that that was better than <laughs> going to the Canada. So I just made a big. Is.
1: <laughs> For sure. So, Co, I want to talk about something. You're a guy again. You left early, obviously, to go to the NFL. But you're a guy that went back to school. You actually graduated with your degree in retail management um, that you started in the spring of 2004. I know you went on SEC Network and talked about what it meant to to go back and get the degree. I guess talk about why did you want to do that, and what what did it mean to you then, and what does it mean to you now to say that you were able to go back to South Carolina and kind of just finish up what you started.
5: Uh, It just, you know, I had started, you know, as always, I always say, you know, once you start something, you you know, you need to finish. So I had the opportunity at the University of South Carolina to let you uh, come back and do that. So, you know, I just went back and uh, completed it. You know, it was 10 years after I was done playing football and it was very tough to go back there and sit in those classes and uh, listen. But I feel like, I learned more. I learned a lot of stuff about marketing and uh, how to sell stuff and you know, kind of what I'm doing with my business. So I took a lot from that. So it was a great experience. And uh, I feel like a lot of guys that that leave early, you know, or they need to go back because the school, you know, they let you do that and they let you come back for free. And, like, you're not paying anything. So it's a great opportunity. I feel like a lot of guys, they take advantage of it.
1: Does it make you – when you were there finishing, did it make you wish at all or look back and kind of wish you had stayed and finished your degree while also playing?
5: Oh, uh, no. Because <laughs> you look at – I guess you look at it, man, like uh, – like uh, they say, oh, these guys, they leave early. It's not for the education. And this and that. But, you know, like the University of to let you come back. So, you can go you – know, and pursue your NFL career, your sports career. You know, it don't turn out how you want, or when you get done. Like Johnny Jones, he's about to retire soon. You know, like he's talking to me about how, what I need to do to get back, uh, go back and finish. So it's a great, you know, it's a great opportunity uh, that they let you do. So, you know, you can always come back. So it give you something to fall back on and you still can complete it. And you don't have to pay. It. You know, it's free
1: no doubt so tell carolina fans co kind of what you've been up to since football because i know you just mentioned you have a business of your own i'm curious to know just kind of what 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 has life been like for co simpson since uh you know football ended
5: well you know i got a wife and uh, two kids two two boys so i'll just be at home just trying to uh, be a dad and be a husband uh, you know be a great role model for my kids and uh and, uh, I got a sports, a youth sports organization called His Own Sports down here in uh South Carolina, in uh Rock Hill and Fort Mill and South Charlotte area. Well, uh, we just do like flag football and uh we can do basketball, soccer. It's kind of like a rec league. And uh throughout the week, I just go to daycares in the in this area and uh run my sports program. I do like the extracurricular activities for the daycares. So we're doing that. Like my flag football league, I probably got like 30 teams like each season that's, you know, out there and, and from ages three to uh, 13. And I coach high school football in the Indian land. Indian land High School. I'm a defensive back coach. So that's what I'm doing.
1: That's awesome. Hey, just just so uh, – because I'm sure we have people listening to the show. They're up in the Rock Hill area or whatever. Where, where can they find out more information about the, uh, the flag football league in case they've got, you know, younger kids or something they want to put into it?
5: Oh, uh, they can go to our website, which is uh zone Sports, N, that's an n z o n e sports dot com backslash Carolinas with a S. That's the website, or you know, they can email me at Co Simpson at EnzoneSports dot com. So that's the way you can get in contact with me.
4: Awesome,
1: awesome. Well, Co, let's go back to because I know it was funny. I was looking at your social media, and I saw a picture of you getting a tour of the new uh the new ops building that South Carolina has now. I'm sure you've seen the indoor facility as well. You're a guy that I feel like is still very in touch with the program and keeps up with what the Gamecocks are doing. I guess first, talk about how crazy it is because as someone that you know went to South Carolina games in 2000, my first one was actually in 2003. So as someone that saw, saw Williams-Rice Stadium and the area surrounding it during that time, first off, talk about how crazy it is to go back and see the changes around williams Bryce Stadium and in williams Bryce Stadium. And then also talk about just sort of your, you know, your perception of the program. I'm sure you've met Will Muschamp as well and how you feel the job that he's doing and where this program is heading.
5: Well, like well, you're talking about, man, that, that building down there, it looked look great, you know. <laughs> Everything looked new, you know. It don't look the same, you know. But I think it's great for the program. It's great for the university that uh, they did those upgrades. And uh, it, hopefully, you know, it helped recruits and you know, get guys that want to come down there and play because they got it laid out. You, you know, that place, it looked better than a lot of NFL uh, teams or uh, facility. So, hopefully, you know, that bring more great, you know, players down there. But I, I think coaching them is doing a great job. You know, they got a great staff. and got to – he doing a great job leading the program. We just, you know, got to get the kids to all the buy-in and uh, keep competing because, you know, they they playing in a great, you know, great university. They got some of the great, great fans. The, the, the fans going to be there uh, each Saturday uh, to cheer them on.
1: No doubt. How – is there any uh... – I guess how jealous were you, Co, being in the ops building? Feel like can you even imagine when you were at South Carolina if you guys had that? I feel like it's just such a game changer, and the kids now they have no clue how lucky they are. They get to spend, you know, spend their days in those types of facilities. I mean, it's just really crazy how far all the facilities have come, really all across college
5: football. Yeah, it, I told you, it's great, man. They got that building. It, It's good. I said they had that building back when we was coming through. It might have kept me there all four years,
1: (laughs) for sure. So, so, Co, I want to get uh, kind of a you know switching gears a little bit. Uh, You obviously played for both Coach Lou Holtz and Coach Steve Spurrier. Um, Your favorite memory of of Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier? Do you have any funny Lou Holtz or Steve Spurrier stories that you can uh, you can tell in the airwaves?
5: Yeah, no, I can't think of – I can't think of nothing off the top of my head. I have to dig deep on that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, Cole. Well, yeah, last, yeah. Last question before I let you go, then, when you look back on your South Carolina career, simply put, your favorite memory as a Gamecock?
5: Uh, just being out there with the, the guys, like them, them, them boys that – the players that I was at school with, you know, just being there with them, just being able to uh, compete with them, you know. And – uh. We was working towards the goal, and uh, hopefully we, <laughs> we did the, you know, the fans and the university, hopefully we did them proud, you know. It was just great. And being uh, there at this play for them fans, you know, they came there every week to bring a lot of energy. You uh you're just trying to make a play and just – being some excitement in that stadium. So it was just it was great, you know. University of South Carolina is, is, is awesome. And everybody I see, you know, from University of South Carolina who know me, you know, they they always, you know, treat me with great respect and uh, I give it back to so it's uh,
1: Is there anything better, Coe, than running out running out of the smoke to two thousand one and playing in Wing's Bright Stadium? I, I can't imagine there is no nothing about it it's great it's great yeah for sure well co really do appreciate you taking the time i i know i can speak for all south Carolina gamecock fans and i say you definitely did i know fans the university everyone extremely proud it was a lot of fun to watch you play again you were at ball hawk all over the field and those were really some some fun times again watching you terrorize sec offenses but uh Appreciate you taking the time. Everyone, please go check out Co Simpson's business, the flag football league up in the Rock Hill area. And, Co, I'd love to catch up again sometime and talk some ball, man. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time for sure. All
5: right. Appreciate you having
1: me. All right. So, for Co Simpson, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up.